0: Magazines and Monsters, Episode 30, 90 Years of Universal Horror. Hey everybody, Billy D, aka Doc Strange here, back with the final recording for Magazines and Monsters for 2021. And this was a crazy year for society, but this was a really awesome year for uh, my show. I had so many awesome guests on and talked about some great movies and comics and all that jazz and you know, I'll get to the thank yous uh, after the main segment here but there was only one person I could have on for my final segment and that is my podcasting partner from into the weird Herman Lowe how are you buddy
1: hey Billy I'm fine and I'm honored that I'm your final guest because you've had a host or should I say a slew of great guests this year and I'm glad that I made the, I'm not gonna say I'm at the top of your list but I'm your your go-to <laughs> when it comes to, <laughs> oh, everybody's on holiday. There's nobody else. Okay, Herman will, will fill in. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. I'm kidding.
0: <laughs> yeah, I mean, this is something, you know, you're a big horror guy just like me. So um, I don't know how I recognize this, but at some point, I don't know, it could have been someone else that mentioned it, and I just am like uh, jumping on their coattails here. But if it was, I don't remember who it was. But I realized at some point during the year and I reached out to you about it, that we should sit down and talk about uh, universal horror just because, you know, as far as, you know, uh, speaking films, you know, non-silent films, uh, they were really the studio to get things started. And that this year was the 90th anniversary, if you can believe that, of, uh, you know, the two biggest films that got it all started in 1931. And uh, we'll get into those films uh, in a minute here, you know. We're gonna do like a top five you and I we're each gonna have a top five and we're gonna shout out our top five here at the beginning instead of going through it one by one because we do have a little bit of overlap so you know we're all, you know you'll give me your top five and then I'll give you my top five and then you know we'll talk about the films that we have in common and then a couple of films that uh, are specific to your list and mine then uh, you know we'll get into those separately just you know a little bit of our you know favorite points and you know, maybe some of the people we liked in or scenes or whatever have you, you know, so we'll get into that in a few minutes. But uh, how does that sound, pal?
1: Yeah, that sounds great to me. I'm ready to do whatever you want here, Mr. B, because if if we look back on our friendship, then, you know, we share a lot of things in common, one of them being our love for the Hammer horror mm. classics. But I am very much a newcomer, actually. If, if I compare myself to the average American, I'm sure. I'm a very much a newcomer to the universal horror movies. Um, and by that, I mean that I only saw them in my early to mid-20s. Right after I graduated, you know, I I suddenly realized that there are these things called the universal monster movies. And it's not that I didn't know about them as kids. I saw them in books that I had collected, you know, on film or monsters. I remember I had this book called... the. The monster book of monsters and they had obviously scenes from some of the universal films in there when they discussed monsters like uh, you know the wolfman and, and frankenstein and dracula but i had never actually been able to get my hands on any of them because in the small town where i grew up with uh, grew up in the local video stores i think there were only two or three at one point in time they didn't have any you know of the universal films, mm-hmm. so i couldn't rent them it they didn't screen them on Well, they didn't uh, play them late at night on the monster movie matinees. They preferred the modern stuff or they did the hammer, you know, movies. And then I finally, I think it was um, uh, right after I graduated, uh, we went to this art theater in Johannesburg in the city where, you know, my university was. And I went with a couple of friends and they screened like three or four of the universal monster movies. And uh, we went and we saw two of them. You know, and, and two of them are on my list, so I'll mention which ones they were. And immediately I was so dumbstruck by how brilliant they are and how it made me feel like I'm living in another time, you know, where the, these these greats like Karloff and Lugosi and obviously Lon Chaney, senior and junior, and mm-hmm. all of those guys, and, and even the the lesser stars, mm-hmm. they, they were all there. And um they made me feel like this is this is the real Hollywood, <laughs> you know, if you know <laughs> what I mean. This is before it was corrupted. <laughs> but um, of course, that's not the case. It's just I, I felt this um, real sense of of love for these type of movies. And then after that, I uh, went on a collect collection spree. So I've owned um, many of the Universal movies on DVD and on Blu-ray, you know, uh, and I've double dipped. So that's just how I came to the Universal movie. So still, even though I did fall in love with them, it was very late in life. And uh, that's why I'm going to defer to you here, Mr. B, and, and let you <laughs> firmly take the reins and lead us into the the darkness, as it were. Yeah, they used to show
0: them all the time over here, you know, uh, Friday night, Saturday night. There used to always be uh, whether it was in the area I lived in, there were two stations. One of them was uh, PBS, you know, a public broadcasting station that had a show on with a horror host and I think the other one was a channel out of Philadelphia maybe because where I lived and you know grew up when I was a little kid we got Philadelphia New York um there was a, a crappy station out of New Jersey that used to have <laughs> sometimes some horror movies too but um that I, I saw these early and often as probably most uh, American you know uh horror fiends or uh, monster kids did they were in a heavy rotation you know in the early, mid-1980s, for sure. They were all over the place. And uh, I hmm. specifically, yeah, I can specifically remember, um, you know, a couple of them that resonated me, resonated with me right away. There were a couple that I felt were a little slow or boring, as sometimes little kids do. You know, if there's not enough action for 15, 20 minutes, you're like, yeah, oh, least, yeah. this movie's slow. But it really isn't. There's really some good dialogue and some nuance there that you don't realize when you're a little
1: kid. That's right. Yeah. I mean, that's why I could immediately uh, gain a sense of appreciation for these films when I saw them because I was an adult at the time and I had already been weaned on horror cinema. But I realized this is a different type of horror. This is very much uh, the beginning of the the movie film industry. I mean, we saw great innovations in things like uh, special effects and, um, you know, and uh, other things like sound production and so forth. And, uh, you know, they, they had some, all of these, horror, well, not all, but most of these Universal Classics had some great um, soundtracks to them, you know, some some great scores written by mm-hmm. them. But um, this was not the beginning of horror, really. Horror had been alive and well in uh, some parts of the theater, you know, in Europe and mm-hmm. in the States, and also in, um, especially from, from Germany, but also in books, you know, horror, horror novels and pulp novels from, Twenty or thirty years earlier was still very much alive, and things that, mm-hmm. and Dracula, you know, obviously being the most famous of of the bunch, oh, yeah. and then Frankenstein from a couple of centuries before. So the horror genre, I think, was actually almost um, fueled by the imaginations of these people who had experienced the First World War and the horrors of, mm-hmm. of, of that, and then they oh, yeah. translated it into obviously. Uh, and also other experiences at the time, uh, which was fantastic, not just the war, but also like, for instance, um, the discovery of the Tutankhamun's tomb in Egypt, you know, and, and all of the. That, oh, yeah. And that fueled stuff like the mummy and, and and people who worked on the mummy were actually present when they, you know, dug up as reporters or whatnot when they dug up Tutankhamun. So, you know, there were these mm-hmm. events that happened that lent themselves towards um, the the. Uh, the uh, horror genre as it was being born in film or i should say reborn in a different medium at the time and Mm -hmm. then it was just a matter of getting the directors the greats like james whale and 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 company to interpret that into film and to perfect the techniques and boy that they perfect those techniques within a a few short years you know they they became masters of 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 mood of effect uh, everything even set building i mean the, the the sets are just absolutely fantastic on most of these films so oh yeah um, we're gonna have some fun here mr b i'm 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 telling you because this is the og horror film industry that we're going to be discussing here and this is where everything was um inspired where the inspiration came from
0: mm-hmm. yeah i mean yeah. and a lot of the a lot of the names people will recognize you know uh, behind the scenes for
1: sure like you know todd
0: browning Uh, for sure. And then James Whale, they were two huge players with, you know, getting this off the ground and and moving forward. And then uh, Carl Freund, he was another one. Uh, You know, it's just there were there were some guys that, you know, were behind the cameras producing, directing here that really, uh, I think that the the actors, obviously, obviously, like you said, even sets and scores and things like that, too, were were huge because they had some you know, very good players here. Like, you know, you said earlier about how we love Hammer so much. And I don't know how much, you know, Hammer would be remembered as great if it wasn't for Peter Cushing and Christopher Lee. And I kind of feel that way about Universal as well. I don't know how well remembered it would be without uh, Karloff and Lugosi. And then, like you said, even uh,
1: our buddy there, uh, Lon Chaney Jr. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, you're Um, right. No, no, no. You, Those guys are... Definitely, I mean, they, I cannot, I obviously have my favorites, you know, being the Hammer guys, you know, Cushing and Lee, nothing will ever, uh, no one will ever knock them off their pedestals. But, you know, um, seeing these guys later in life, like Karloff and uh, obviously Lugosi and, and Lon Chaney mm-hmm. uh, Jr., those guys, you know, they are right there next, right next to them for me, mm-hmm. you know, in terms yeah. of uh, greatness. It's just, I, uh, because, you know, nostalgia always takes a hold of your heart. And uh, because I saw the Hammer films when I was a little kid and I, you know, even though that was a very disturbing, many of those movies I should not have seen as a kid. (laughs) I I did in fact have a a bout of nightmares because of all those things that I saw. (laughs) But it's just, you know, it's not that my parents weren't careful, it's just that, you know, they were frequently uh, busy sometimes over weekends and they would drop us off at my aunt's house. And my Mm -hmm. aunt, you know, she's very much, a free spirit when it comes to or not just a free spirit, but also a believer in, you know, kids should experience life, (laughs) you know, early (laughs) on. So she just let us watch whatever we want. Obviously not stuff that's too gratuitous in terms of, you know, sex or stuff like that. But she would definitely like say, hey, why don't you guys watch, you know, uh, the old Dracula, you know, and uh, it's a classic, (laughs) you know, and then (laughs) she I mean, this being, of course, the horror of Dracula from Hammer. So you know, um, we we were exposed to that kind of stuff, um, and I re- remember the 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 more hardcore bloody stuff. She would then step in and say, "No, no, 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 no." Unless we sneaked it in, you know, mm-hmm. somehow. But like Nightmare on Elm Street at that time, that was that was popular. So she would say, "No, no, no, okay, okay, this is a little bit not. You guys kind of have to wait a <laughs> couple of years." But she saw the old horror classics as fine, you know. So, but but I saw them as very disturbing. You no, know, um, some of the folk horror horror stuff that came out of uh, Britain. Blood yeah. on Satan's Claw, oh, um, yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, Witchfinder General and or the Conqueror Worm as it's known in the States. We saw that when we were kids and I was <laughs> like, whoa. Okay, my aunt clearly didn't screen this pretty well before she
2: <laughs> <laughs>
1: censored it. But you know, and anyway, so the universals would probably have been available to us if if, if my aunt had them on hand. She would have definitely yeah. let us watch them and I regret that but because of that nostalgic connection with the hammer films that will always be my favorite but universal's firmly in the second place when it comes to my favorite horror studio mm-hmm. and when it comes to my favorite horror films of all time i mean i would take them over any of the modern stuff oh yeah and not that the modern stuff hasn't been great i've i've got some real favorites of modern horror but the universal films how can you beat them believe the, that the acting the characters the 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 settings, the 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 stories, it's all interesting. It's all it, it it arrests me. And you can't get it out of your head once you've seen it. I've seen dozens of horror modern horror films lately. I can't remember the plots. Maybe it's because <laughs> I'm getting old, <laughs> but yeah. Maybe. So
0: Yeah, uh, yeah. Yeah, I mean you like you said, it's it's a lot of the a... You you do know, you know, when you're a real hard nut, you do know some of the other names behind the cameras. You know, like we said, producer, director, you know, people that do the scores, like stuff like that. I can, you know, rattle off some names behind the cameras and the technical things for Hammer. Not as much with the Universal, but, you know, the actors and actresses, I definitely, you know, their their names always will stick in my head. You know, we said about, you know, Karloff and the Ngozi and Chaney and Chaney Jr. already. And there was Claude Rains. Uh, so, you know, other guys that were in, you know, made some, you know, good movies, you know, were some good supporting people too, like, uh, Lionel Atwill, Basil Rathbone, you know, uh, people that are big, uh, Sherlock Holmes fans will know, uh, Basil Rathbone's name. He did a bunch of those. Um, but you know, it's, it, it's definitely, like you said they're they were the foundation for horror, you know, back then, uh, as far as on the screen. And like I said, definitely once 1931 rolled around, it was February of 1931 when, you know, Dracula was released with, uh you know, our buddy, uh, the Lugosi in it. Um, so that was the one that kind of got it all started there. Um, yeah, I, I that's think, right. Yeah. And that mm. was, that was, when I saw that one, when I was a kid, that was one of them that I was just kind of like, mm, you know, because, it, you know, a lot of dialogue and not a lot of, you know, the, the terrorizing and biting and <laughs> all that fun stuff. So there wasn't, <laughs> you know, there wasn't a lot of that in that movie. So I kind of was all, it was just like kind of lukewarm on it when I was younger and it warmed up to me a little bit more as I got older, but a little later on in the year, I think it was, maybe it was, it was in November that the uh, Frankenstein came out, you know, yeah. same, same year, mm. 1931. So those mm. two movies were the ones that, like I said, 90th anniversary, and they were the big drivers behind, you know, even doing this episode. And I thought, Oh, let's just do a top five and, you know, let's do it for uh, the last show of the year, which I always planned on once I saw it was a Friday, I thought, Oh, that'll be good. Cause I usually release episodes on Friday you know, Friday, so it'll be New Year's Eve. It'll be a good way to close out 2021.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's a perfect uh, bit of synchronicity here, Mr. B. So well done there. And I would also like to close out this year because for horror, this was a seminal year for me. You know, I'd compl- I've bragged about this before. I've completed my 31 days of horror for the first time ever mm-hmm. um, during this last Halloween. And, you know, I've been I've, I've fallen in love again with the whole horror genre. I fell out of love there for a while. Maybe because it became too much of a, a chore, you know, uh, doing a podcast about it. But, um, you know, I mean, not obviously doing it with you.
2: <laughs> Magazines
1: <laughs> and Monsters is not a chore. But, mm-hmm. you know, I, I think I was being too clinical about it, where I, was, I should have just, you know, gushed about it rather than, than trying to be so analytical. But um, this was definitely the year for me to get back into horror, especially horror movies. And Universal was a big part of that. And I mm-hmm. got to thank you for suggesting this, because this allowed me to finally set aside a week. And it took me about a week to to watch and rewatch most of the films that I loved. And mm-hmm. that's what made it onto my list. So I'm very eager to obviously get to the list and also to to find out what what's on your list. Mm, well, yeah. I already know. Before, <laughs> but you know, I want to hear you talk about it. <laughs>
0: mm-hmm. Yeah, well, like I said, why don't we just get right into it here? So um, if you're ready to rock and roll here, why don't you uh, fire off your top five? and then. Uh, I'll go with mine, and then uh, we can uh, get into some of the, like I said, some of the mutuals uh, that we both have on our list after that.
1: Definitely, definitely. All right, listeners, here goes. Herman's top five, and I'm counting down from five to one, by the way. Mm -hmm. It's my top five Universal Monster Movies list. Okay, number five. I know, Billy, that this is one that many people consider not really worthy of being on the list because it was released 20 years after most of the classics. But it's Universal Studios. It has a monster. And the reason I picked it as my number five is because uh, this monster has become as iconic as the Universal Frankenstein or the Universal Dracula or even the Invisible Man. Mm -hmm. Um, And this is the creature from the Black Lagoon. Mmm, mm-hmm. this was my number five. I have fond memories of watching that. And this was also one of the first movies that I were the universal movies that I saw at that theater that I mentioned. Mm, cool. And then number four, a recent one to the list, because I think about a year ago, I rewatched it. I watched it when I was you know, in my 20s and I thought it was just okay. But, uh, you know, now I've got a better appreciation for it for somehow. I think it was during the whole Invisible Man craze, you know, during the last new Invisible movie that had been released by Universal Studios, which was mm-hmm. fine, just just too much tech. But here it's the classic HG Wells Invisible Man, making it on my as number four on my list. Mm-hmm. So the Invisible Man, a great movie. Now, good one. Yeah. And number three, one that's always been a favorite of mine, but strangely doesn't show up in a top five list if you look on the net um of universal horror movies this is the mummy with karloff mm. as the mummy of course this is a classic for me because this is not your garden variety mummy waltzing around in rags mumbling here he's actually a character and i'm not dissing christopher lee here you know talking about the hammer mummy there's a lot to love about the hammer mummy right um the flashback sequences christopher lee as a you know but Um, Obviously, The Mummy is an actual, what we associate with The Mummy these days, you know, like a walking cadaver, but here it's actually Boris Karloff, Imhotep, being himself, you know, as just someone who's been reborn into this time and uh, Mm -hmm. he's after his lost love. So The Mummy has always been a classic for me. And I love the fact that, you know, Karloff can arrest you with just his stare. There's no special effects needed when it comes to his supreme acting ability. So The Mummy is my number three. Number two, The Bride of Frankenstein. And this is probably, it used to be my absolute favorite. But, um, you know, uh, during the last couple of years, I rewatched all of the universal horror uh, monster movies that I have in my possession. And this is definitely now my number two, but um, almost a near perfect film. So that's why I put it as my number two. And then number one, my my favorite for for a while. And it was also my favorite when I saw it because it was this one and the Creature from the Black Lagoon that I saw at that theater, in, you know, after university. And this was the Wolfman starring mm. Chaney Jr. This is just the best werewolf film ever. I mean, you and I, we love um, a lot of werewolf movies, but this one is definitely the the one that started the genre. Uh, genre it, it even. Uh, added some things to the werewolf mythology that now we take for granted, and you know, some uh, like like you know, the silver being lethal to the werewolf, and uh, you know, the rhyme mm-hmm. um, that they use in this movie over and over again, the the little oh, yeah. snippet of poetry. It's it's just uh, it's become something that's more than a classic. You know, it's entered the genre in literature, you know, in 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 television everywhere. It's just permeated it. And you know, a lot of the other monsters have been reinterpreted, uh, reinterpreted, you know, like Dracula yeah. doesn't quite show up in, in in pop culture quite as he did as Bela Lugosi anymore. Same with Karloff's Frankenstein, possibly yeah. because Universal has copyrighted that image of him,
0: you know? <laughs> yeah.
1: But um, the, you know, the, the Wolfman, no, he stayed very much the same. so it's, it's almost like the, the, what you would call the Superman syndrome, where, you know, he's he's almost like he's perfect from the get-go.
2: Mm-hmm. You know,
1: they caught lightning in a bottle and they 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 kept it in there. And that's why the wolfman's one of my favorites and has to be the top of my list.
0: Cool. So yeah,
1: that's it. Just a quick recap. Creature from the Black Lagoon, Invisible Man, The Mummy, Bride of Frankenstein, The Wolfman.
0: Awesome. Yeah, good list, man. And then we're going to have some honorable mentions in a little while. So, Definitely. Yeah, you know, you know, we'll mm-hmm. we'll try to we'll try to uh, rattle them off later. I only have four I'm not sure how many you have heard, but, you know, it's not going to be a long list and we're not going to go into detail on them. Just kind of just shout them out and say like why we like them maybe or whatever. But yeah, good list, man. And like we said, there's a little, uh, you know, overlap here with your list and my list. So uh, um, I'll I'll start. Yeah, Yeah, yeah. go
1: ahead. We'll discuss those, you know, overlap uh, mentions. We'll discuss them together. Mm -hmm. And then after that, like you said, we'll do the ones that uh, did not show up on each other's lists. And after that, honorable mentions. But I'm sure, you know, I've seen, I hope I've seen most of your honorable ministers. I know there's only one that I only saw the beginning of, but we'll get to that. And then, yeah, it should make for some fun times, Mr. B, this discussion once we get into these movies, because, wow, I've been wanting to talk for them for years and years on Mm. air. And now finally I'm getting the chance. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely, man. So,
0: all right. So, here, why don't we just, uh, I'll fire off mine now and then we can get into it. So, my top five is uh, uh, number five is the black cat. So mm-hmm. that is, you know, a crazy one. Uh, it's Karloff and Lugosi. I think it's their best film together. Uh, you know, I they, they did quite a few films together, but I think that was the best by far. I do like the body snatcher, but Lugosi doesn't get a ton of, you know, dialogue in that movie or, you know, stuff to do. He kind of plays like a, almost like a Renfield type character in that movie and doesn't get a lot of dialogue. So, Right. You know, that's I can't really say that's my favorite because you know the the black cat they they go at each other <laughs> quite a bit and it's, it's it's a good one. It's if you've seen that movie, you know what I mean. It's crazy. It's you know still yeah. right in before the code started, so there was some wild crap in that movie. <laughs> um, and then number four is Bride of Frankenstein. So when I I asked people on Twitter, uh, I think it was back in November, maybe you know, uh, about, you know, Hey, give me your favorite. So, cause I thought, Oh, don't ask everybody's top five or it'll be all over the place. and I'll never be able to keep track of it. And I'm too lazy to do like statistics and things like that. So <laughs> I just said, Hey, if you could pick one movie, give me your favorite movie. And in a landslide, bride of Frankenstein, it got the most uh, love and I can yeah. see why it's a really good movie. It's, you know, it's very, very good movie. It's, it's only number four for me, but it's, it's a good one. I can understand why people would pick it.
1: Yeah, definitely. We'll we'll get into that when we want to talk about it. But I want to mention something about why it um, left its top spot uh, on my list and why it went to number two, and and probably one of the reasons might be why some people, you know, yeah, have have it as their favorites. That's probably why it was my favorite for the longest time. So we'll we'll get into that definitely. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, for sure. So then number three is Frankenstein. <laughs> I love origin stories. Uh, it's always like uh, very few sequels to me have ever lived up to the original. And that's just because I am a sucker for origin stories. You know, it doesn't matter if it's Spider-Man or what movie it is. I usually always love the originals the best just because I love an origin story. And usually I feel most times when the origin stories are done, the first time they're done, they're usually the best. If they try to tweak them or redo them, I usually don't glom onto them as much. So I, I love that one. I think, you know, Colin Clive is you know, crazy in that movie, and I love it.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I agree with you. It's, it's a fantastic movie. That's firmly at my number six position on the list, On my list, by the way.
0: Mm, okay, and then number two for me is The Wolfman. You know, your number one. That was my number one for a long time. When I was a kid, it was my number one. It was my favorite. I loved Lon Chaney Jr. I loved everything about it. You know, the makeup, just everything. You know, it was probably already 40 years old until I saw it and I still thought it was like super cool. And obviously there was way better special effects, you know, 40 years after that film was made, but it still always left an impression on me. And I always thought it was great. I thought Chaney was a a really good monster.
1: (laughs) Yeah, no, he does. I mean, that that's his most well-remembered role. And uh, you can Mm -hmm. see why it's because he's, he was almost like, you know, this, this tired old phrase, he was born to play that role, but it's true. (laughs) He was, he was, uh, you know I can't I mean, he's done other great things, too. He's mm-hmm. a great actor. I love his delivery. It's almost like by by today's standards, it's overacting, but uh, you know it's it's endearing, you know that the the, the t- type of delivery he has. So he's done other great things, but he's always gonna be the wolfman for me.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And um you know, so I, I can understand why it's high up on your list because it's a classic, mm-hmm. a classic among classics.
0: And then I'd say probably only in the last like five or ten years, uh, this movie overtook it as the number one for me, and
1: that's The Invisible Man.
0: I just can't get enough of Claude Rains. I think he's great in the movie. He's crazy. Uh, you know the the tavern scene in the beginning. To me, that 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 <laughs> that scene. Oh man, that first like twenty minutes of that movie is just absolute gold. I love it. It's just it's. I don't know. It always stands out to me like as my favorite anymore. If I had to I had a choose, which I had to for this, it's it's definitely the invisible man. It's just edging out the Wolfman.
1: <laughs> that's right. No, no, I, I understand why you picked that as your number one, Mr. B, because you love madcap, insane, loony stuff. And that movie is off the wall uh, mm-hmm. bananas. <laughs> you know that, that's crazy. It's just there's a scene where it just descends I mean there's a, a period when the movie just descends into chaos. And mm-hmm. that is the, the the most fun part of it. It's just he, when he becomes totally and 100% irredeemably murderous. Mm-hmm. And uh, then it's just a, a a festival of madness. So, yeah, I know you love that kind of stuff in comics, in film. <laughs> no surprise. <laughs>
0: well, I mean, hey, why don't we get into that one right away then? You know, because that yes. was uh,
1: my number one and your number three, I think. That's right.
0: Yeah. So why don't we get into that one right away? You know, I like I said, the, the, Literally the, the first scene there where you get him walking through the snow and this bandaged up guy and he comes into this, this tavern and everybody goes dead silent because this guy that's all bandaged up comes busting in during a blizzard. And, you know, it's he needs a room and he goes upstairs and we meet uh one of the other <laughs> crazy uh, players from Universal. You know, she was in this movie. She was in Frankenstein and Brian, I think, at least in the original Frankenstein, uh, Una O'Connor. She's crazy in this movie. I love her, too. <laughs>
1: yeah dude, uh, that's the only reason why the Invisible Man and Bride of Frankenstein are not higher up on my list. she I don't know, wow, I really i I'm, she's a great actress, but I cannot stand her screaming. It just it's just like like a uh, uh, you know, um hot sandpaper. Uh, Nails you know, on a chalkboard. my eardrum. Yeah.
0: <laughs> a lot of people say that. They're like, man, she was so annoying. <laughs> yeah. And I think yes. she's even more annoying in The Invisible Man than she is Frankenstein. She only screams once or twice in Frankenstein. But yeah. the Invisible Man, she's screaming every five minutes and a bit over the top. But, oh, I think it's crazy, especially when The Invisible Man kind of flips out on her and <laughs> she runs no. out of the room screaming. Oh, I love it.
1: Yeah, I think for audiences at that time and even maybe later on, too, that was uh, a bit of comedy, you know, a bit of lighthearted yeah. uh, comedy in- injected in there. And there's not a lot of comedy in those films. And then mm-hmm. she brought that element to it. So um, she definitely plays a part, a role. It's just, uh, you know, I've rewatched it so many times that now I've it's become a little bit grating. You know, that it's it's sort of giving me a little bit of a shiver every time I hear her scream. It's almost more frightening than the monster (laughs) or or than the invisible man. (laughs) But it's hard to say to pick a a greater villain than Claude Rains is invisible man. I mean, he's a psychopath. He's a supervillain. He's a monster. He's actually this. This is what makes the movie great. He's a man. Right, Billy? But he's Mm -hmm. the only monster among the batch that I picked at least you know of course you could argue the black cat that you picked on your list has men who are monsters but mm-hmm. this is the only human monster who sort of um you know he's not really a monster he's still just a man the only thing is he's invisible and that drives him to these psychopathic acts he be, he becomes insane
2: mm-hmm.
1: and uh, it's almost like he he developed this um, this God syndrome where he's like, uh, he's he's all powerful. He can go anywhere, do anything. And he mentions that during a couple of monologues during the movie about, you know, what, what the implications for the serum are. No secrets yeah. are safe uh, for an invisible man. He could go anywhere, see anyone, view anything, do anything, kill anyone.
2: Mm-hmm. And
1: that, that is why he sees himself now as a type of, of God. Mm-hmm. And uh, he treats us like insects, stamps on the people who get in his way. And I think that's where the, this, the the frightening quality really comes to play here, because if you are an invisible man and you are also insane, mm-hmm. then there's nothing, no, no depraved act that you won't be capable of. And they show it in this movie. Mm-hmm. I mean, at first he kills reluctantly, right, yeah. Billy, I would say. But then as as his killings escalate, it becomes crazy. I mean, doesn't he, he ties up a guy at one point in time, pushes him off a cliff in a, in a burning car, you know, um, uh, it's just he it becomes inventive in his murder <laughs> spree. And that's mm-hmm. what makes it so frightening for me.
0: Yeah, he, he does. He He loses his mind. Like at the beginning, he's just trying to find a way to turn himself back to being, you know, not invisible. And then as the movie goes on, the madness, you know, overtakes him. And he just wants to, you know, use his, you know, power, if you want to call it that just to you know, commit all these like horrible acts and stuff like that. And yeah, he's talking to that Kemp who's one of the other doctors that he used to work with. Yeah. And he's kind of using him as like his, his pawn a bit. And you know, that one scene where he's sitting there and they're talking together by the fireplace. And he's like saying he's going to kill people and this and that. And he's like, maybe we'll derail a train, which he does later in the movie, by the way. And that's something I'll point out that of all these movies we're going to talk about here, he kills more people than any of these other monsters do. The Frankenstein yes. monster, he kills because boy- he derails a train and they say over 100 yeah. people died on that train wreck. Yeah, so just yeah, exactly. just that alone, plus the other people he killed. He probably killed 120 people in this movie. He was the worst. <laughs> the highest yeah, body, that's, body count.
1: <laughs> that's why most, well, a lot of critics that I've seen talk about Universal... Uh, describe him as the the most frightening monster of them all because he is the one with the highest body count. But also, he okay. relishes the. The rest of the monsters are kind of like tragic figures. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Even yeah, Dracula, reluctant. to an extent, reluctant. But okay, Dracula's not tragic, but he's definitely um, he's more like a, a scalpel when it comes to selecting his victims. But the the Invisible Man, he crosses that point and becomes uh, a mass murderer. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so yeah. Whoa. And um, then, you know, we, of course, we got to talk about the great uh, delivery here by Claude Rains. He's probably got one of the best voices I've ever heard on film. You know, the way he laughs maniacally and <laughs> yeah. the way he he shouts and, and even his threats, you know, when he when he threatens people, mm-hmm. you know, um, uh, he, he, he tells Kemp at one point in time, if you leave, I'll strangle you. <laughs> you know, and the, the way he says it is so disturbing so 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 you you believe him <laughs> mm-hmm. obviously you would but that was in the beginning and and already then uh you you realize you're dealing with a psychopath here so a great actor brings that to the fore well done uh to you know to all involved but especially I mean the man who makes this movie you know is definitely our lead actor here and um yeah, he's, yeah. he's one of the best i mean he shows up in the Man, mm-hmm. you know as as um, uh, the dad Mm-hmm. As uh, Talbot Senior, but uh, there, I think they could have shown more of him. I mean, he's technically the hero, but here it's all him, right? I believe the whole yep. movie revolves around him and his acting. Some, mm-hmm. some, some great performances by the supporting cast too, but nothing memorable. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, not. I shouldn't say that. It's just um, I don't. I haven't followed their careers beyond that film too much, other for other than their other appearances in other Universal films, you know. Right. Yeah, but uh, Claude Rains, one of the greats. So he makes this movie for me. And yeah, that's yeah. why it's firmly yeah. at, uh, on my number three spot. But I can see, like mm-hmm. I say earlier, why it's near number one. And and obviously, we can't not mention the innovative special effects at that time. Mm-hmm. This was groundbreaking. I mean, yeah. what do you think?
0: Yeah, for sure. I mean, it's, again, you figure that's 1933. There really weren't <laughs> a whole lot of ways to everything was practical effects. So there really wasn't a whole lot of ways for them to do things. But I think they pulled things off really well in that movie, you know, for, you know, I guess again, nineteen thirty-three. That what did you really have to work with? Like, you know, you and I could do better special effects right now, probably with an iPhone. So
1: <laughs> that's
0: yeah. a, you know, a regular Joe with a phone in their pocket than these guys could do with thousands and thousands of dollars and, you know, dozens of people. So the fact that you can watch that movie and it still looks pretty fun and pretty believable, uh, that's to me, that's just kudos. And again, it's just like Frankenstein and Bride of Frankenstein, it's James Whale behind that one, too. And, you know, I think he definitely had an eye for these kind of films.
1: Yeah, true, true, true. And you could see him uh, improving and exploring new ways of directing and new ways of of getting scenes across and finding the most disturbing angles and so forth. So. Uh without him, of course, the movie would also not have been I shouldn't have said it's all Claude Rains. You know, obviously it's James Well as well in the director's seat. But yeah, you're right. Um, it's innovative. It's an innovative film because it showed that that Hammer, you know, they have uh they, they're dedicated to the genre, that they would actually add these new groundbreaking techniques to to the film. And then possibly lots of folks Ah, uh, budding special effects artists in their own right, which would go on to make names for themselves in the 40s and 50s and 60s. They were all inspired mm-hmm. by watching this movie as as children, or as young mm-hmm. young people. So yeah, a classic, yeah. Mr. B. And definitely, I understand why it's firmly your favorite. I mean, it's it's one definitely one of my favorites. Strangely enough, it wasn't my favorite before. It wasn't on my top five. Um, but then maybe within the last five years or so, it be or no, I should say the last two years. You know, ever since the whole hype about the new Un- uh, Invisible Man, right? From Universal Studios came. I I started to rewatch the classic. I also reread the H. G. Wells novel, and it's very similar. I mean, most of the material that the Universal monster movies are based off of, you know, the original novel uh, Frankenstein by Mary Shelley, you know, Bram Stoker's Dracula. It's not true to the stories in the books at all. Yeah. But the Invisible Man here. Very true to the original H. G. Wells classic, Mm -hmm. and uh, you and I are also a fan of the comic. You know the the adaptation they did in Marvel Comics. Yeah, so, Mm -hmm. Um, I love this. Yeah, love this character.
0: Yeah, (laughs) Yeah. really, really super cool. Yeah, so, well, why don't we transition into then? uh, How about Bride of Frankenstein? That was another common one you and I had. Which, like I said, the talking to almost people on Twitter, like I said, it probably, I'd say at least two thirds if not pushing towards three quarters you know the people that responded Mm. there was a crap load of them and i've got a list here and after you and i are done you know uh talking about all these movies i'm gonna you know do a segment to just talk about or not talk about a kind of list everybody that uh you Know to give them a shout out that uh, you know, was contributed
1: uh, to the post on Twitter and and yeah, it was huge. Yeah, there was a lot lot of people, a
0: lot of people, and like I said, the overwhelming majority of them said Bride of Frankenstein, and again, it wasn't my number one, but it was on my top five, and I can totally see why because it was just a very good film, and you know, I do like how it literally picked up right at the end of the first one. I do love hmm. it when sequels do that. Like when sometimes when they're sequels and they they don't pick right up and you have to kind of bridge the gap with, you know, either, you know, they'll they'll give you some, you know, dialogue at the beginning and say this is what happened, blah 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 blah. That's okay too. But I love it when they pick right up right at that spot and this one did. I mean, it started off with a, a scene there in the beginning that's, you know, really interesting before we get into the monster action though.
1: Yeah, that's um, where we see, I think, the most acting done by Elsa Lanchester in terms of voice acting here, in terms mm-hmm. of speaking, because she shows up as um, Mary Shelley, the mm-hmm. wife of Percy By Shelley, the poet. And of course, Mary Shelley and Percy By Shelley were great friends with George Gordon, Lord Byron, the famous poet as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and then they had this classic meet, meet up with Dr. Polidori, their friend, mm-hmm. um, when when on vacation. I think it was in Greece. And they decided one night to tell horror stories, and that's how Polidori came up with his story, The Vampire, which he later published as a novel, uh, or as a serialized novel. But uh, Mary Shelley came up with Frankenstein, mm-hmm. and uh, she went on to publish that to great critical acclaim, even though she was in her mid twenties. And but she was very much overshadowed during in her lifetime by her husband, the famous Shelley, you know, the poet. But here we see Elsa Lanchester, who would later mm. play the bride. She's showing up here as Mary Shelley. And you can see she's a great actress. Oh, yeah. I mean, she overshadows the two lads <laughs> oh, yeah. in the room by by, by far. a huge margin. Yeah, by yeah, uh, they're just, know, just with massive talent.
0: Yeah, they, they those two actors could have been just, you know, two dudes pulled off the street, to be honest with you, because she stole that scene because she was so much better than them. And then just her beauty just sitting there was like, wow, he's just inspiring. just yeah. this is just captivating. When she's now,
1: there. Oh. Yeah, this is great. Now, I'm glad they started the movie off like that because this is actually showing that now they're going to stay a little bit tr- more true to the material. And uh, it's not completely true. I mean, we've got some, you know, Dr. Pretorius showing up. Uh, he's almost like a black magician rather than a scientist. But um, there are scenes, classic scenes from the novel
3: mm-hmm.
1: in this, whereas there were almost... the. the you could argue the only classic scene from the novel was the actual create, creation of the monster in the original frankenstein the right. rest was just you know a, a new script a new screenplay that they came up with
2: mm-hmm. but
1: uh, here we've got uh, two classic scenes we've got um basically um frankenstein meeting up with the old hermit the violinist mm,
0: yeah he wasn't
1: a violinist in the novel but he was definitely a man who was blind he was old he had a family, but they were away. Here he has nobody. So you wonder how he, he can survive that long. But he could probably got some charity from local hunters and so forth. Yeah. But he, 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 be, he meets a friend, his very first friend, other than the little girl he drowned in, <laughs> in the
2: <laughs> original Frankenstein, who
1: was briefly his friend. Mm-hmm. And that is a classic scene from the novel. And this is so well interpreted. I mean, the smoking scene alone, right, Billy, where he learns to smoke. <laughs> That's great. Oh. And... And then uh, we, this movie, that scene is a classic. And then, of course, the second one that eclipses all Frankenstein scenes for me is where he asks for a bride. In the novel, he asks Frankenstein, uh, obviously pra- played brilliantly by Colin Clive. I'm a big fan of Colin Clive. He, yeah. I just I love his facial structure. I love the way he appears on screen. I love his his weird, intense way of squinting. Mm-hmm. He's, he's just a great uh, victor, or a Baron Frankenstein, we should say.
2: Absolutely. Uh, but
1: but you know, Billy, the other iconic scene is obviously the involving the bride, because in the novel he asks for a bride, but Victor Frankenstein eventually, after creating the bride, destroys her. Now in the novel the bride never attained consciousness.
2: Mm-hmm. But
1: um in subsequent interpretations of the story and so forth in pop culture, she does. And here I think they were very innovative in making her actually uh come alive briefly. For some mm-hmm. brief moments of life, and this this is what started the whole Bride of Frankenstein, uh, craze. Really, I mean, not not the movie craze. The, the the fact that there could have been a second Frankenstein who was a woman, mm-hmm. and uh, it's been reinterpreted by many. Most most recently by Junji Ito, the famous Japanese oh, movie, wow. the horror artist. He did a an adaptation of Mary Shelley's Frankenstein, where the bride gets a whole sequence, you know, between um, uh, her creation and then her eventual death. So. I don't know. This movie is very innovative for its time. It had some great ideas that sort of added to the Frankenstein mythos, added to Mm -hmm. Mary Shelley's novel. And then, of course, it gave us two of the greatest lines on film. Fire good. (laughs) No, fire bad. Smoke good. And (laughs) we belong dead. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Very simple. (laughs) Caveman-like utterances, but amazing.
0: (laughs) Mm, Yeah, I mean, some of the things I noticed, too, is you know, the in, int, intro to the movie is much different than the first one. And, you know, the first movie, too, when they roll the credits, you know, it says, you know, everybody's name. And then it says the monster and it's question mark. But then at the end of the movie, it says Boris Karloff. Well, this movie immediately in huge, bold letters, Karloff, you know, it's just yes. letting you know he's yes. back. And yes. I, I do love that, too. And I do think the score is much better in this one compared to. You know the thirty-one movie as well. Oh. I definitely those are those are two things I I like much better about definitely. this movie too. And then, like you said, the you know very tragic and for me the the scene that steals the whole movie is a uh, you know the monster uh, being friends with that old man. You know, I think there's a lot of uh, commentary there on you know a blind man having a, a bigger heart and being more understanding than people with sight. There, you know, that's that's great. I love that.
1: Uh, yeah, that's a very powerful scene, Mister B. You're right. And I love the fact that the monster, he really is good at heart. Yeah. Technically, he's he's a violent individual, but that's because he was driven to violence in the first movie. So we, we see him become murderous right off the get-go, almost invisible man style. He likes hurling people off uh, parapets and, <laughs> you know, uh, even women, men indiscriminately. I don't think he'll hurt a child, even though he accidentally did in the first movie. But uh, he definitely does become quite uh violent even more so than in the first movie in this one but Mm -hmm. it's because he's continuously being hunted that that's basically the whole uh, two brief reprieves the the old hermit sequence and then dr pretorius in the crypts Mm -hmm. and uh, that's the only uh, time someone shows him a shred of humanity and um dr Pretorius obviously having ulterior motives but another scene that really disturbed me when i first watched it was Uh, when Dr. Pretorius approached uh, Baron Frankenstein and displayed his creations. Mm. Um, That was something that was, I think, very, very innovative and very disturbing simultaneously, because what you had there is you had this black magician drafting Baron Frankenstein to combine their their techniques. Now, he, he said what he was doing was science, but I think it's more like alchemy. Yeah, uh, technically. So he needs to crack the code of how to imbue life into a life sized creation rather than these little animated figures that he has conceived of and yeah. uh, he needs Baron Frankenstein's help and he sort of um, not blackmails him, but it's, it's almost kind of a type of blackmail, um, which he does uh, to get Baron Frankenstein to help him.
3: Mm-hmm. Uh, he
1: sort of like plays on his fascination with his mm-hmm. old science, which he has sort of forsworn. He has uh, promised never to do that again after the first <laughs> disaster, I right, believe. But, but mm-hmm. you can see he's still fascinated by his science and now uh, new avenues that that might open when working with this evil, sinister grave robber, Pretorius.
0: <laughs> yeah.
1: Yeah. Well, technically, I mean, Baron Frankenstein is no better than a grave robber himself, but not in this film, though. In this film, he's firmly back in high society. <laughs> you know, he's not a... He's not secluding himself anymore. But, um, I mean, his wife is more of a presence here. Or his future wife, I should say. Yeah, Um, I
0: looked up, I was interested to know, because I didn't ever know the reason, like, why it wasn't the same woman from the first movie that was his, you know, fiancé and going to be his wife. And I guess uh, she had had some health problems, and that's why they brought somebody different. Because I thought, you know, Colin Clive was there, Karloff was there. Why didn't you bring the same person back, you know? Because...
1: Yeah, I just would have made sense yeah.
0: to me, but that's why, because I thought, oh, it's a very different looking woman.
1: Yeah, yeah, she was. Yeah, I, I mm-hmm. noticed that recently during a rewatch as well. I don't think I originally noticed that.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, but fun fact, Mr. B, this is a bit of blasphemy. I saw this movie first before I saw the original Frankenstein.
3: Gotcha.
1: Um, and the reason was just because that was in that theater at the time. Ah, uh, because we returned to that theater a couple of times over the following weeks, and I think they only screened the Universal movies there for three or four months. I can't remember, but it was definitely there was a date when that they they notified you of when they would like start screening other something you know, different yeah. film studios. I think they were focusing on studios at the time, you mm. know, something like that. Though it was okay. definitely an art house cinema, but they had this, you know, these um, pop culture trends um, which they would sometimes reflect in these. Uh, screenings that they had, but it lasted for quite a while. So I, I went there, I saw more than 10, easily more than 10 universal movies because they were focusing on the whole studio. And I saw this one first because for some strange reason, they did not have the original Dracula being screened at the time, I think they screened it in the beginning and then they recycled it, you know, and then, you know, mm. so I may might've missed the first month or two where they screened the originals. And, um, but I saw Bride of Frankenstein first and then eventually I saw uh, Frankenstein and then you know I could clearly see the differences between the films that's why this one is my favorite but I know where you come from with the the origin love I love origin stories as well Mm -hmm. but this one clearly superior in terms of set design oh yeah and I think the actors all improved and Karloff himself is a better monster this time time around he, without having to speak a lot, I mean, he obviously learns to speak. This is where he actually learns to speak beyond grunting from the old hermit. And yeah. then we get some fantastic performances, him using this this half baby speak, half, uh, you know, um, uh, almost disabled. Uh, his voice box obviously clearly not um, meant for speaking.
0: No. Uh-uh.
1: Um, vo- vocal cords deteriorated. And you can hear him actually uh, um, mimicking a, a real person with a speech disabilities uh utterances and sounds and that's fantastic and the way that he can turn that into a fantastic performance vocally
2: mm-hmm.
1: is insane but of course he's known for just merely showing up and and that's enough oh, But yeah. here he actually goes the extra mile so i saw this as the the monster uh, inroads into the monster's personality more so than in the first one
2: mm-hmm.
1: and then of course also lanchester what an iconic mm. image what a look I mean, yeah. all of the, the the that just that brief appearance on on the screen as the bride inspired so many, and and f- and fired up the imaginations of so many people, mm. from the '30s to modern uh, times. So wow,
0: yeah, I mean, absolutely e- love this film. Yeah, and I mean, even as a you know air quotes monster, she's still beautiful.
1: <laughs> oh yeah, 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 yeah. She's. I think it's because of the techniques that they used yeah. this time around. Uh, Pretorius specializing mm-hmm. more in complete figures and uh, Frankenstein, I think the Baron having just cobbled together the original monster from spare parts, really (laughs) spare body parts. So here they've got a more complete figure. So she is in essence, beautiful Uh, yet. She is a monster because she, she was not created naturally. And you're right. She apparently, I read this somewhere that uh, Elsa Lanchester drew on the screeching of ducks or geese. To to mimic her <laughs> sounds that she made, she she That's took great. that as her inspiration. Yeah, wow. and um, that that part is very, uh, uh, for me at least, um, very affecting in the movie when she sort of makes sounds at first, it just querulously uh, or, you know, in in answering to being uh, you know prodded or moved around. But then when she sees the monster, she and and her intentions, to, well, his intentions toward her, she becomes uh, scared and. Uh, she very much prefers her creators to to the monster who shows up there's no kinship there's no question of kinship between them she's very much an infant whereas he's already now probably uh, ascended into maturity so she behaves like an infant she's screaming and crying and that that part always disturbed me but in a good way you know it's it's horror well, yeah. right mr b so um all of these scenes just stick in my mind never get, I'll never get rid of them. And I don't want to get rid of them because they're so iconic.
0: Yeah, for real. You're not kidding. But yeah, it's, again, it's easy to see why that was, you know, the, the overwhelming, uh, (laughs) pick on everybody's list, but, um, all right, well, why don't we talk about the Wolfman? You know, like I said, this was my number one for a very long time. It is your number one, you know, uh, this one is a little more polished now they had, you know, 10 years to kind of, I don't want to say get things right, but to, you know, make uh, their movies a little more polished as far as, you know, the, you know, the quality and the sets and things like that. And, you know, I thought this one was really good. I mean, I absolutely love the opening credits and it has the Wolfman logo. Oh, man, that's just the the intro was great. And then, (laughs) you know, the uh, beginning of this movie is pretty cool, too. You know, know, we have uh, our buddy Lon Chaney Jr. And like you said, Claude Rains is in this one, too. Yeah, Bella Lugosi with a you know a smaller part in the beginning here. And then he exits. And then uh, Evelyn Anchors. Uh, she's been in a few different uh, uh, universal horror flicks. And then uh, Maria Ospenskaya. Oh, <laughs> that's,
1: classic. That's the yeah, the she's... gypsy.
0: She's great. You want know, to talk about Born <laughs> for a Part? Wow.
1: What a fantastic role by her. Yeah, she looks mm. the part. She acts the part. Her voice is perfect. Got that gypsy accent to it. And
2: mm-hmm.
1: um, no, this this film... Just, I think it also came at me at the right time, right, Billy? Because I was reading, I think it was like a couple of collections um, uh, of short stories by great writers uh, from the late 80s. I think these collections were released by a man called Leonard Wolfe. He was the editor. And they were three collections. It was called The Ultimate Dracula, The Ultimate uh, Frankenstein, and then you had The Ultimate Wolfman, Man. And basically... <laughs> The writers, and and there were famous writers, Harlan, Allison, lots of, you know, uh, Stephen King, Uh, in this Wolfman collection, every one of them were fans of this movie. And they tried to put all all of their werewolf knowledge uh, into this movie based off of uh, into this into their stories based off of this movie alone, Mm -hmm. you know, so. Lon Chaney's name was even mentioned. You know, there were some stories featuring Lon Chaney being an actual werewolf off screen as well, you know, in, <laughs> you know, uh, like fan fiction, but a fantastic story. So, you know, I read that before I saw the movie. So when I eventually saw the movie, that whole experience having this collection as a favorite as a child, that, that sort of reinforced my love of the Wolfman itself. But the movie, yeah, it's got so many classic elements. Like you mentioned, Claude Rains is the father and he delivers on every note, just a fantastic Sir John Talbot. And then you've got, uh, of course, Bella Lugosi as Bella, mm-hmm. <laughs> which is his <laughs> Japanese name. And uh, he delivers an arresting performance as well because, you know, he completely sells it as this mm-hmm. uh, werewolf, this hidden secret werewolf, which in fact causes the transformation in Larry when he's attacked by him. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, of course, Maria Ospenskaya. Those are the three names. Mm-hmm. Uh, that 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 come to mind in the supporting cast, yeah. but then you've got Lon Chaney Jr. delivering the performance of a lifetime, at least in my mind. Yeah. Um, oh yeah. And uh, not only was this movie innovative in its transformation scenes, which I don't think had ever been done on film no. before this, Mm-mm. but it was also innovative in the way a man can portray uh, himself being ridden with angst and then turning into a monster. And then, at first, he shows up as a jovial, happy, you know, sort of, like, womanizing, you know, kind of... <laughs> yeah, he's horny. Uh, I mean, he's damn horny when he arrives there, right? <laughs> yeah. And uh He's uh, he's an astronomer. He's interested in telescopes. He's, he's, <laughs> he's this, this well-traveled man of the world now returning to his country residence and
2: mm-hmm. wealthy
1: family, of course, the Talbots. But then um, he enters the town. At first, he does it. He's a, pe- a bit of a peeping Tom, isn't he?
0: Yeah, it's crazy. Yeah. I was looking at uh, Evelyn anchors character through a telescope. Yeah,
1: he spots uh, win. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Gwen you Evelyn Anchors, he spots her in the town with his telescope that he set up over there, his, his mini observatory there mm-hmm. in his dad's estate. And then he heads into town to make her acquaintance. And then he's all jovial and friendly and happy. And then they obviously go to the the fair, the carnival. And that's where um, things start to escalate. So after the the bite from Bella, from the werewolf, um mm-hmm. And then, of course, I, m- I mentioned he sh- I should have mentioned he purchased the cane, this classic silver cane, which is almost the MacGuffin <laughs> in the film. This, the, yeah. this cane with the silver wolf head that he purchased from 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 the shop earlier. Um, then things start to happen when you see his acting really shine because he he was this this totally different person at the beginning of the film, and now he's he's haunted. He's, mm-hmm. he's driven, you know, by his, um, this this curse that has infected him. And uh, you see this yeah. change over time. And then it just becomes worse. You see that there's no way back for this man. Yeah. And in fact, then it escalates with a loved one, his father, obviously, doing yeah. the deed, having to kill him with the very silver wolf's head cane that he himself purchased. So, he in fact, ended up purchasing his own <laughs> doom, the instrument of his own death. Yeah. and. You know, all these elements just work together, right, Mr. B, to make a classic, even though there's not much to the film in terms of of plot, I, I mean, there's a lot to the film uh, in terms of plot. I'm, what I'm saying is it feels like a quick watch, right?
0: It moves. That's one of the things I wrote down a yeah. point. It moves very fast. It's only 70 minutes. So if you're only an hour and 10 minutes and I do think that is something that by no fault of their own hurt some of the universal films. That they were so short, there wasn't a lot of time to develop some of the characters, or it was just there was just enough time to develop, like you know, uh, you know, Chaney's character and Evelyn Anchor's character a little bit. That was it, there really wasn't time to develop any of the other characters in the movie. It was which you know, it's a little bit of a detriment, still a great movie, but man, imagine if they were. You know, even 20 minutes longer, an hour and a half, like, you know, like we've said about, you know, movies from the 50s and 60s and 70s, like 90 minutes was kind of just about the running time for a lot of horror movies in that era that would have just done so much for some more of the characters in these films.
1: Yeah, no, I agree. I agree. Um, And that's one of the lamentations of most, you know, lovers of this film that that they should have shown us more of the Wolfman or more of the relationship between Gwen and Larry. Mm-hmm. Uh, but um, that's always the case with the movie that you love, right, Mr. B? Especially if oh, the yeah. movie's short, <laughs> right? So, but um, I, they did make sequels. Unfortunately, vastly inferior. Maybe not vastly, but you know, I, I, one of my honorable mentions, in fact, includes a Wolfman film. We'll get to that. But you <laughs> know, there's too. there's some there's some things that yeah, I knew. <laughs> I knew yeah. I mean, we've we've both been listening to the great the bloody pit bit of Rod, you know, mm-hmm. and uh, his shenanigans. So. I think he's influenced (laughs) us a little bit. But also, you know, he's just informed what we already knew uh, about these classic movies more. Mm -hmm. So all of that really culminates in a film that I can rewatch endlessly without getting tired. Yeah. Um, Just just the whole mythology angle alone that they added Mm -hmm. to this movie. This is all just from the screenplay. You know, this Mm -hmm. was not, this was taken whole cloth from their minds, from their imaginations. This was not based on actual werewolf lore, like most people later on came to believe. Mm-hmm. No, this is firmly created by this universal horror movie film, arguably one of the later films, right, Billy? Uh, not as late, mm-hmm. of course, as The Creature from the Black Lagoon. But this was just before they, or, or almost just before they ended up satirizing themselves with the Abbott and Costello stuff and so forth. Yeah. So many folks saw this as the last great universal horror movie.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I and,
1: mean... Uh, There's
0: only one nitpick I would have about this entire film. To me, it's a perfect film, except for I never understood how when, you know, in the beginning uh, we learn to find Mm -hmm. out that, you know, Bella, the gypsy, uh, tells the fortunes that he is a werewolf. And when he attacks Larry, he's a four legged, you know, werewolf. Mm -hmm. And then, Mm -hmm. you know, Larry is upright Mm -hmm. like a a humanoid. I don't I never Mm -hmm. understood Mm -hmm. that.
1: (laughs) Oh, yeah. They mentioned this in one of the. um Uh, One of the many film books I've read uh, that they originally in the original screenplay, they wanted to introduce this this um, element of the longer you stay a werewolf, the more wolf like you become, you know, Mm. so it's almost like an evolution as your power grows with subsequent full moons and so forth, you know, but the more you descend into the animal. And that's also what inspired the movie the the, well, the plot uh, plot element of the movie wolf. You know, mm. with Michelle Pfeiffer and Jack Nicholson, the fact that you will eventually become a complete wolf.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, but you know, Bella himself, he can still very much return to human form when the when the moon wanes and so forth. So mm-hmm. you, I think, you, it's just an evolution of your monster self into gotcha. the actual animal. But you know, I like I've always liked humanoid werewolves more, like yeah. the the werewolf that, of course, Cheney portrays here hmm.
2: Yeah. And, you know, too. I think
1: I think the modern remake of The Wolfman is much maligned, but I kind of like it. Sir Anthony Hopkins and uh, Benicio del Toro. Um, yeah. You've got Emily Blunt as Gwen. I, mm-hmm. I can watch that movie quite often. I, I do enjoy that movie. Of course, yeah, you, it's more of a spectacle. Yeah. But
0: yeah, yeah, you and I have talked about that on a couple of occasions that we both kind of enjoyed that. And, you know, we were hoping that was going to start, you know, the, the universal uh, another cycle of universal horror films, because I thought it was definitely. You know, worthy of uh, you know a watch and rewatch. I think it's a it's a pretty good flick. You know, like I said, well, you you know you and I we do like a little bit of modern horror, but you know in our heart it's a lot of the classic stuff, whether it's Hammer or Universal here, but. I thought that one stood up pretty well. I, I really do. So mm. we might have to talk about that one at some point in time.
1: <laughs> yeah, we, we might have to discuss um, in also in general how Universal has been trying and failing to mm, uh,
2: uh, yeah. re-
1: restart, to jumpstart the, the horror genre that they birthed, really. I think it doesn't work if you return to the classics for some reason. It works for me. I would like mm-hmm. it if they... If they, I mean, they, they got to give you a new story like they did in The Wolfman in the remake. Yeah. Um, but um, they must keep it in those settings. That's, that's what I like. I like these period pieces. But The Invisible mm-hmm. Man apparently worked with audiences, the recent remake, because it was more modernized. It was a totally different story, blah, 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 blah. But for me personally, Billy, it, it wasn't a memorable horror film. Even though it was apparently, according to lots of critics, groundbreaking. I love the acting. I love the idea behind it. The whole science angle. It's just, it's not the universal horror, Invisible Man. Maybe for a new gen generation, but it didn't end up jumpstarting the 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 studio's um, monster craze at all. No. Actually,
2: Mm-mm. even
1: though it was financially successful, so uh, it could be consider- considered a failure from that angle. But you know, that might just be being biased because I love these originals so much. So you can never, you can never go back really, you must go forward, but going forward sometimes does not work for me as a, as a fan of the classic. So yeah, I'm always like an mm-hmm. armchair critic here, but still, <laughs> uh, so we got to work that into a discussion in the future, Mr. B, mm-hmm. but but I would go so far as to say that this movie, I, I can predict it. Now there's no werewolf movie that would ever eclipse this film. I mean, you know, which one comes damn close. One of our mm-hmm. favorites.
0: Well, we'll talk about Hammer. that one, too. Yeah, we're going to. Yeah. That's definitely going to be something that's a little bit more of a focus this year coming up for the show is definitely getting back into a lot more Hammer because uh, that's that's definitely a road I want to go go down and stay on for quite a while. So we'll be talking about that one too. our buddy Ollie Reed there.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, no, that's that's a, an unadulterated classic, too. But um, this one, I think it will be hard pressed for me to ever say, oh, there's a better werewolf movie. So the mm-hmm. Wolfman always going to be my number one, I guess. Now uh, the the reason that that it was briefly not my number one is because I fell in love with the Bride of Frankenstein there mm-hmm. um, for a while. But you know, there's some elements to the to that that also, uh, especially the you know Una's laugh, <laughs> which we mentioned. But uh, not just that, some other elements. Uh, it's it's slow moving in parts, whereas the Wolfman is is uh, moving at a frenetic pace. Yes. And that's why it became my number one again. And I think it'll stay in my top spot. spot unless I see the entire catalog of Universal horror movies and come upon a gem. Uh, because I haven't seen all of the Universal horror monster movies, of course. The Black Cat mm-hmm. might be it for me, Billy. Because I only saw mm. half of that movie. So mm, well, we'll see. I'll let you know <laughs> once I've finished it. <laughs> all
0: right. Well, why don't we transition to you know one of your picks, The Mummy, from 1932. So you figure this was only a year after... You know, we had uh, the Dracula and the Frankenstein, the big hits there. You know, a year later, they uh, they fired off the Mummy, and like you said, there was a lot going on in the early part of the century there, with uh, you know them finding uh, the tomb and stuff like that. So this stuff was really in the in the news, in you the know, zeitgeist. And, and, yeah, mm. big time, big time. And then nobody better, obviously, to play the lead role than Karloff. I mean, he had already you know proved. Oh that yeah, he he had mm. the goods in Frankenstein, and you know mm. he was uh, he was good. So that was. That was yeah. a good choice for this one, and then uh, one of the other uh, stars of the movie Zita Johan. Oh boy, wow! Yeah, she. How sexy. Uh, what if?
1: What Ooh. an interesting. I mean, her eyes do it for me. Her, she, mm. she's got these large, gigantic manga character-sized eyes, actually. Yeah. And uh, you know, the funny thing is, she slouches a little bit. She's got this lackadaisical look about it. She's almost like she's an opium den. You know. <laughs> uh, uh yeah, aficionado but Visitor. um i just i love it because that's the type of role she plays during that time and apparently according to some some things i've read the director uh carl freund he couldn't stand her <laughs> yeah which that's is funny. weird but yeah i think um she might have been a different person off screen than on i'm not sure i didn't i never went into her whole filmography but this role that she played she's an arresting beauty and she mm. sells it because you can see that she is actually well, th- that she could be a, a reincarnation of an Inge- Egyptian princess Anak Sunamun, mm-hmm. and um, of course, Karloff as the mummy steals the show. But you know, I think before we get into that believe we also have to give due to David Manners, mm-hmm. who plays Frank in this movie, the the love interest to Zita. Well, the yep. the the this lovers triangle that's happening between Imhotep, the ancient Egyptian priest. And uh, Helen, which is played by Zita Johan. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, David Manners as Frank, uh, one of the, you know, Egyptologists, the father of famous. Oh, well, he's the, the son of a son. famous Egyptologist. Yeah. I mean, he showed up as Jonathan Harker in Dracula, didn't he?
0: And then if he, was also, in, the he black was also Cat. in The Black Cat. Yeah. There so. you go. I do like to see familiar faces like that in movies, you know, and obviously you and I, like we've said earlier, we're huge Cushing and Lee fans. We're we're used to seeing (laughs) the same characters sometimes over and over in these, uh, horror films. And I I do like that. It it does give you a a feeling of, you know, being comfortable that, Oh, that guy's in this cool, you know? And I think Mm -hmm. he does a good job in all three of the films too. You know, he might not be, you know, Uh, top shelf or anything. He's not up there with Karloff or anything, but he's still a pretty solid actor. I think he does a good job in all three of those movies.
1: He's believable. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Definitely, definitely. And Mm -hmm. But of course, then Karloff, you know, as Imhotep. Mm. And the story itself being this sort of like love story that transcended uh, the millennia Mm -hmm. with Imhotep falling in love with uh, Anuksun Amun, uh, the priestess Uh, of Bast and then she you know obviously dying and then he because of this forbidden love affair being entombed alive that is one of the most horrific sequences when they you know show this Mm. um, flashback of him being wrapped up in mummy rags and entombed uh (laughs) you know sentenced to die that way it's 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 horrific but also you know the book of the dead showing up in the scroll there's this Mm -hmm. this element of mythology to it as well of course all Egyptian mummies were buried with a copy of the book of the dead uh, but here it has the sinister aspect where if you read from the scroll which happens mm-hmm. in the beginning that reawakens the mummy and uh, it, it sort of gives life to the dead and that's that's a classic trope in mummy literature but mm-hmm. here you know he breaks form with other later mummy movies of course this was the original that did not in in fact inspire um you know, well a little bit it, it had a couple of subsequent mummy movies with the same type of effect but Basically, what came from this is monster-like mummies afterwards. But here, Imhotep is firmly a, a human. Mm-hmm. Uh, in, nobody knows that he's in fact a mummy. You know, he's just he seems like an eccentric old uh, Egyptian who has knowledge of where to dig up tombs. Yeah. And um, but then he has the sinister power, this um, unholy power, which he can utilized to hypnotize he can cause death mm-hmm. from afar he has this magic scrying pool yeah. in, in his tomb there in his home, which he uses to observe and also to affect people with with spells and um, he murders quite a few folks during the course of this well, yeah. or tries to and um, so Adam Bay is his uh, alter ego which he goes by um, and then he's taken into the confidence of some of the Egyptologists because he's the reason for them finding this this dig site. And that's all his plan just to to unearth, um, you know, his treasures and and of course, to get back to his lost love. And he sees Zita Zoh- Johan as the reincarnation, the, yeah. the character of Alan. And I love the, the whole way that at the end, there's a little bit of a, a deus ex machina, really. Which which nowadays is frowned upon, but back then I'm sure this this was understandable. Where the the gods actually take a hand, you know, to save the life of of the lovers Frank and Zita, and then turns on old Imhotep mm-hmm. because after all he committed the ultimate blasphemy yeah. in, the, in the eyes of the Egyptian gods. So they are against him. So it's really a man against modernity, but it's also a man against his ancient uh, culture. So mm-hmm. he's really stuck in the middle, you know, between this, this hammer and a vice and can't <laughs> get out of it. But um, I love the way uh, Karloff portrays this. He's single minded in his intent in mm-hmm. this movie. He's he's unstoppable, really, when it mm-hmm. comes to reaching his goal. And it yeah. took the gods themselves to actually thwart him at the very end. Stop him. Yeah. So, yeah. So I love it. What What's your uh, view of I mean, I know it didn't uh, make your list, Mr. B, but how do you feel about this movie?
0: Well, it definitely would have been on my um, uh, honorable mentions, but I tried to go with stuff neither one of us picked on our initial list for Mm -hmm. my honorable mentions because it is good, and Karloff is super creepy in it. I just found it a little slow at some points, like, again, when I was younger, and then even when I, you know, a little bit older saw it, I still thought it was a little slow in a couple of parts. But I do really think there would have been nobody else. Like, some of the other movies you might have been able to get away with you know, different actors or actresses in the roles. But to me, you know, obviously everybody thinks of Boris Karloff. They think of, you know, the the monster. But to me, this uh, is right up there, too. You know, it's right behind that role because he's really super creepy. And, you know, it isn't like he like I said, he's not running around like a, a mummy in the later mummy movies from Universal or the Hammer films or whatever. And he's just like this, you know, unstoppable monster that's like breaking people's necks and stuff. It's just a lot more creepy than that. But yeah, yeah, he's he's very good in the makeup too for the movie. He was like kind of craggy looking his skin and stuff like that. Like, oh man, it was really wild.
1: Yeah, that's something I forgot to mention, like you just mentioned. The the makeup effects here are very innovative, both when he's a mummy and when he deteriorates at the end, but also in the interim when he's supposedly human but starting to show cracks, like you say, in his skin.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: He he's definitely appearing as someone who's not completely human, but Pro- mm-hmm. Folks probably just described that to a skin disease or something. Yeah. Um, so the makeup effects, always uh, groundbreaking at Universal Studios at this point in time. This is one of their best. Um, mm-hmm. uh, of course, the Wolfman, of course, uh, the, the, the ultimate best would be the Frankenstein monster. But um, I'm, I love the mummy, the look of them and how they designed him and, and the sets. You know, it was very much uh, not filmed, I think, to the best of my knowledge in Egypt, but they created these Egyptian settings. Yeah, um, and that's where it takes place, uh, you know. Uh, so I, I don't know. There's lots to like about this movie for me personally, but like you say, it is slower compared to the other movies. But I find this a great movie to sometimes just put on in the background, mm-hmm. you know, when I'm doing stuff, and then just let it run and just listening to Boris Karloff's delivery as he's speaking as the priest Imhotep, and yeah. uh, he's. I wanted for me personally one of the classic villains of film um, oh, in yeah. this role as well. It's it, and also a visual. Uh, a very a visual treat, you know. This villain, he's always like that when he shows up um, uh, as a villain. You know, Karloff does. I mean, in the Black Cat. What what you know? Brief images I've seen of him there. He's very, uh, you know, um, uh, interesting looking. You know, it's just he's he can sell it with just showing up on set as this <laughs> villain, and oh, yeah. uh, it's just it's just the way he's he's made, the way his his bone structure works, right? The way that he uh walks and lumbers and presents himself that's that's karlov's greatness right mm-hmm. but um i i always remember autumn bay and the scenes the close-up of his eyes you know um just uh, uh, emitting this force this power and uh the, of course the score goes along with that it's not a great score but during those sinister scenes it definitely works
0: oh yeah it's creepy during those scenes for sure and then you know like we said the the makeup you know wolfman and then now uh Mummy as well, Jack Pierce, you know, he was he was the guy back then.
1: Yeah, no, 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 definitely. I agree with you there, Mr. B. Um, I think they uh, that's one strength of Universal Studios. They got this crew together, all masters of their craft. But in many cases, they didn't even know that they were masters of a craft. They were just in some cases making things up as they went along. Mm -hmm. But um, yeah, in terms of Pierce, no, definitely uh, an essential part to this film. For sure. So
0: All right, so why don't we move on to Frankenstein, 1931. You know, the one that uh, started that franchise going. Uh, That was, you know, like we already Mm. mentioned. You know, you had Colin Clive and Boris Karloff, and both of those guys are crazy good in it. Um, Dwight Fry, you know, as the assistant there. Fritz, he's pretty good, too. (laughs) He's crazy in this movie. (laughs) The ultimate
1: sadistic bully, almost. Mm -hmm. You know, just torturing the monster. I mean, he's the main reason, I think, why the monster became... Uh, uh, monstrous.
2: <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, he
1: wasn't monstrous initially. He was very much a child stuck in a monster body,
0: mm-hmm.
1: but he became unhinged where he was subjected to the worst of humanity. And Fritz embodies that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I agree with you there. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I mean that, uh, I love too the part in the movie where, you know, uh, Colin Clive's character, you know, uh, Frankenstein, he, Dr. Frankenstein, he at the beginning, you know, he's looking to create something and he's this, you know, very serious scientist. But the minute he realizes, you know, he's done what he set out to do, he kind of flips his lid. You know that very famous "It's alive, it's alive" scene. Like he goes off the deep end there. He really like has like a, you know, a moment where he looks like he's you know become unhinged over it. You know, and you know basically thinks he's you know uh,
1: like God.
0: So again, you know, then playing with that kind of that exactly with that godhood. Idea. Yeah.
1: Mm, yeah. Yeah. I I, I wonder why. This is just now coming into my mind. Why they changed his name from Victor Frankenstein to Henry Frankenstein? You know, mm-hmm. uh, soon to be Baron Frankenstein. I never could could. There must be a reason why. Uh, maybe yeah. they just wanted to uh, somehow disassociate it from the script. Because after all, you could know, be. the 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 Bram Stoker Estate did end up not suing, but they did um, make some legal waves towards the German studio who made Nosferatu. Yeah, you know, in the 1920s. So maybe they were worried about that. I'm not sure. But Henry Frankenstein, as horror characters go in film, I always remember him as a separate entity, even though he's very much similar to Victor Frankenstein. But he's very different from the Frankenstein we got with Peter Cushing. This man is not unabashedly evil, (laughs) whereas the Cushing (laughs) Frankenstein, he does become evil. But he's also not the, the Frankenstein, the tormented Frankenstein from the Mary Shelley novel so he's firmly a, a separate character for me you know what I mean mm-hmm. Billy but it works because he is the classic white robed lab coated I should say scientist screaming to the heavens that you know mm-hmm. he he birthed that classic scene he made that scene from it's alive you know oh yeah um the it's a live scene
0: mm-hmm.
2: so
1: he sells it Colin Clive I love him he, like I say he's a great uh, visual treat for me as well when he shows up uh, great um expressions that he comes up with and uh, uh a fantastic pick for the role of Henry Frankenstein.
0: Yeah, I will say as casts go other than Clive Carloff and then like I said Dwight Fry, I really don't feel anybody in this movie is really good. And again, not that they're bad, like oh that's a terrible performance, that they're just okay, you know, they just they they do what they need to do and what was asked of them, but nobody even really stands out and I don't know if that's just because, you know, maybe the the people chosen for the roles weren't the greatest or was it, you know, again, it was only a 71 minute movie, an hour and 11 minutes, and they crammed a lot of things into it. So I don't know if that's, you know, what, what the what the cause of that is, but I definitely don't watch that movie and think of any other performances. And like we said, you know, uh, Karloff obviously has a lot more to do in Bride of Frankenstein than he did in this movie other than just, you know. Kind of running around
1: terrorizing people and yeah, That's right, that's throwing, right. Throwing, yeah. little,
0: throwing little girls in the lakes.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean that's probably the greatest Karloff scene in the movie, really. I mean, not not for me personally, but um for folks talking about like how he sells the role as the monsters when he's showing his innocence and playing with the girl with the flowers. Mm-hmm. But for me, that's the difference between Bride of Frankenstein and this one is the fact that, you know, Karloff got to do more in the second one. And uh, here really what, what I think fired up the, the imaginations of people watching this movie was just the look of the monster, just the makeup effects, mm-hmm. just the way he was, was visually interpreted by, um, you know, the makeup artists. That is what sold, uh, I think, this movie to theaters, uh, this innovative mm-hmm. or disturbing, quite disturbing at the time, look of the Frankenstein monster. And um, you know, basically Karloff didn't really have to do, I mean, he did a lot in this movie, true, but he didn't have to go to the lengths that he would stretch himself with in later films. Still, this is one of the iconic movies that sort of um, added to Universal's credit of making these, you know, what at the time was these blockbusters, right, mm-hmm. Yeah. So this is definitely in in the trilogy, possibly being you know Dracula and then of course Frankenstein and then maybe I, I don't know which you would put in the the third spot but I'd probably put something like um Phantom of the Opera maybe I don't know werewolf of London you know those early films that jump-started the craze uh, Dracula being the first right but um sure yeah yeah if, if I picked the top three you know I would pro I, I would be hard-pressed to pick my number three but Um, one of their early successes that led to them, you know, getting more clout to do whatever they wanted, and uh, so you gotta pick this as a classic. This is this, like I say, definitely my number six. Yeah, Um, number six on my list.
0: mm Mhm. Yeah, it's like it's you know even if it's like let's see, say that's not a top five, it's got to be at least in your top ten. It's probably on every top ten on the planet, just because again, it's you know it's the origin for all of this and everything. So kind of got that, like I said, that franchise started, but, uh, all right. So why don't we move on to, uh, your other one there, a creature from the black lagoon. Now this one's wild. I always loved this movie. This is a movie that I, I can still watch it. You know, again, anytime it holds up, even how many years later here, it's just, that's always going to be one of those classic films, you know, uh, you know, directed by Jack Arnold there, but has uh, one of my favorite, uh, Crazy. uh, I
2: think
0: I think of him more as a B movie actor. Uh, Well, two of them, actually, Uh, Richard Carlson and then uh, Richard Denning as well. And then the lovely Julia Adams in it as well. So, oh, yeah, yeah, can't go can't go wrong with this one. And then the soundtrack, like, I don't know if there's anybody on the planet that wouldn't recognize that
1: the monster music. Yeah, Yeah, because it's it's so prevalent. I mean, it's almost all encompassing. There are lots of underwater scenes and uh, where the soundtrack comes into play here because they kind of there's there's no other sounds they could have used at the time under the water. And that's what this movie is also known for, giving us a classic creature for what some folks would call the atomic age. You mm-hmm. know, where it's more about evolution, not, not uh, pseudoscience or magic really, but it's more about, um, you know, uh, when people were, were starting to accept uh, th- more scientific theories. And um, this is a, a branch of life that evolved without our knowing. And th- that was during the discovery of new species in the Amazon and so forth. Mm-hmm. And um, you know, so it fueled uh, the the listeners' um, love for that kind of horror. In it, kind of w- like like the monster movies of the '50s too, you know, or the mm-hmm. alien invasion movies. It had the science bent to it, because after yeah. all, these folks were what paleontologists. You know, they were basically mm-hmm. in the Amazon jungle to discover if there was uh, this uh, hidden species. At first, they were looking for fossils and mm-hmm. then they discovered that there's an actual living specimen and um the underwater scenes are just you know fantastic for its time right but you've yeah. got a lot of underwater oh, scares yeah. you've got a lot of water underwater battles at the end there you know mm-hmm. and then you've got the, of course this tragic king kong style love uh from uh, the monster side at least for this <laughs> A beautiful maiden, which is probably also, you you can speculate, but it leaves it open for interpretation. This monster is the last of its kind, much like King Kong, probably. Mm
2: -hmm. And
1: it seeks female companionship. Now, that might go in a horrific way (laughs) for our lead actress here. But still, you know, um, uh, Julie Adams, uh, what's her name in the movie? Kay. Kay. She sells it so well. One of the best remembered scenes is where she takes a swim off of the boat Mm -hmm. and uh, the creature swims beneath her. Mm-hmm. And uh, touches her her, her feet <laughs> briefly mm-hmm. and then mm-hmm. hides among the weeds and the, the the plant life there below. So very much teasing her, but also in a playful manner. Yeah. The only thing I would say though is the the, the suit is amazing, the the, the design oh. the feature of the Black Lagoon. It's fantastic. But since he's got a very um Piscine type of face, you know, fish-like face, or mm-hmm. or in some cases almost frog-like face. He, there's no room for expression there. Whereas yep. with the Wolfman and with, even with the mummy and with, of course, the Frankenstein monster, you can, he, he mm-hmm. could sell anger. They could sell expression, but the, the Gilman yeah. cannot do that. That's the only detriment for me is the fact that mm-hmm. you, you don't see him as vaguely human at all, other than he has a humanoid shape. Right. But um, great scenes and, and very murderous too. I mean, he's probably, well i mean not second to let's say the creatures like um frankenstein but maybe third when it comes to a merger, murderous rage i mean <laughs> he, he shows up in the tent at the beginning there uh, murders the the uh, the workers that were left behind by yeah, the professor when he went to crazy. recruit more talent yeah he murders them in the tent uh all off panel shown in fantastic uh, fashion there and
3: mm-hmm.
1: it's very bloody for a universal yeah
0: yeah, yeah. This was a I forgot to mention too, this was a three D movie. And then uh Oh yeah, of course. You had you had two separate people playing the Gilman, you know, Ben Chapman while he was on land and then Riku Browning uh all, did all the underwater stuff and he was great. Like you said, those scenes definitely stole the show in this movie. And last I knew he was still kicking, but his health wasn't real good because uh I think he cancelled some appearances he was supposed to have, but um yeah, he's he's still going so that's pretty wild. But, you know, like you were saying about the whole, you know, costume, that was something that, you know, you only hear about um, uh, well, the makeup artist, Bud Westmore. And mm. he was like, you know, the universal guy and this, that, and everything. But in the last few years, you know, they've tried to really raise up somebody who really is the one that designed it um, a Disney animator named Millicent Patrick. And this lady is really the one that, you know, design this uh, costume and everything, and she's really the one responsible for you know what we know and see as the Gill Man. So, you know, you definitely got to give her a shout out for that because obviously, back in the fifties, it wasn't nobody was in a big hurry to give a, a lady credit for something.
1: Yeah, that's right. I mean, the design, like you say, was done by Millicent Patrick, who wasn't mm-hmm. credited for it at the time because she was fired by one of the the producers
2: mm-hmm.
1: um, in a jealous rage or something. I, I don't know. Maybe she was taking credit, or she wanted more credit, and they refused. And uh, But it's all chronicled in this book that was recently published called The Lady from the Black Lagoon, right, Billy? Mm-hmm. Which I would suggest people pick up. I haven't read it because I'm not, I mean, this is probably something more Karen Walker probably owns this, I don't know. Uh, because, you know, I am a big uh, fan of the movie, but I'm not so much a fan of the you know, the creature is definitely not my favorite yeah. and the background of Universal yeah. movies. I'm interested vaguely in, in some of the background, but I would be more willing to buy books on Amicus or Hammer Studios that chronicles the background of the making of those films. But yeah. um, the Universal films definitely have their, their hidden stories that come to light through the ages. And this is one of them. The fact that um, uh, Millicent Patrick, who in fact designed this iconic creature, which was the first iconic design they had had in 20 years, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. first iconic monster so she's definitely should be credited for if she was not credited for decades mm-hmm. so well done there and of course um, the Gilman has spawned uh, much like the Wolfman and Frankenstein monster and Dracula has spawned so many um, uh, reinterpretations of this monster most notably recently Guillermo, Guillermo del Toro's The Shape of Water
2: mm-hmm. which won the
1: Academy Award now that movie, not one of my favorites um, mm-hmm. but um, you could see that he loved the original creature yeah. and then you've got guys that you and I admire, you know, like Steven Bessette, who was pivotal in bringing Swamp Thing, the creature Swamp Thing back into prominence in the eighties with writer Alan Moore. Mm-hmm. Steven Bissett is a huge fan of the creature from the Black Lagoon. It's his favorite monster cool. and um, that also spawned his love for, for other monsters like Swamp Monsters and so forth. And um, the creature definitely a very frightening presence. When you oh see gosh, him on yeah. screen, and uh, the, the, even though it's clearly a man swimming in a suit, they, they sell it so well that you know you do feel the dread that comes with this. You know, water, water has always disturbed, especially like you know, um, unexplored waters has always disturbed the human imagination a little bit, right? Believe it's like oh, troubled yeah. waters, and and this is definitely what they play on here. Mm-hmm. The fact that most of this, this, it comes from the water, drags you back into it. But it's also lethal on land, this oh, yeah. creature. And then, you know, at various times they try, it becomes basically a monster hunt. Whereas mm-hmm. they don't realize that they, they're the the hunted rather than the hunters later on. They come to realize that. Um, and the monster sort of picks them off one by one.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And then, of course, at the very end, the monster is foiled. He wanted to kidnap uh, the lovely Kay. Um, and then it didn't work out. They they stopped his plans there. But it's it's intimated that he might have survived. Yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah. At the very end, yeah. Mm-hmm. So um, very, very interesting. And um, I loved everything about this movie, except for the fact that uh, there were a few actors that sort of, Uh, Got on my nerves a little bit. Um, (laughs) I'm just trying to remember his name. I think it is um, uh, Dr. Williams, was it? The superior of uh, Dr. Reed. Dr. David Reed is arguably the main male character. And then the main star would be, of course, Julie Adams' K. But there's this, he's almost like, he looks like a Tarzan-esque figure. You know, this Dr. uh, Mark Williams, I think is his name. Yeah, Uh, Richard 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 Denning, Denning, (laughs) <laughs> now you know he get he got a little bit on my nerves. I don't know why. It's just this. He's this, very cocky. Cocky, but uh, you know, cocky characters are, it sometimes works. But for him, nope, it didn't work for me. Uh, and then other other things that also bug me is uh, you know the overacting by the ship's captain a little bit. He has some great scenes, but you know he 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 puts on a heavy accent.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: The rest is though it's it's gold for me. I really enjoyed it, and I love you know um, water horror. Water-based yeah. horror—that's where my whole Lovecraftian love comes from. Mm-hmm. This is very Lovecraftian, if you think about it. Yeah, without for sure. consciously being Lovecraftian.
0: Absolutely. So yeah, I
1: love it. Gotta love the creature. That's why I put it on. I, I, in fact, DM'd you on Twitter saying, "Apologies. I know you, you were, you were talking <laughs> about the early classics here, but I gotta have. I'm gonna have to put this on there."
0: <laughs> yeah, when I threw out the question on Twitter, I was like, you know, because a couple of people said about creature, I'm like, oh no, 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 like just like the like. The pre 1950s, you know, because there wasn't that was the 1950s was like the tail end for sure for Universal. Um, but you know, they're horror, I should say. But because um, a, pe- a lot of people were like, well, if I could pick creature, I would pick creature. But since I can't, I'll pick something else. So I'll make apologies for you. Don't worry when I put the episode out.
1: <laughs> nah, thanks, man. I appreciate it.
0: <laughs> all right. So then, all right, on to our last one here the Black Cat from 1934. And this one's crazy too, because Like I said, I think Karloff and Lugosi are so good in this together. Uh, They're both creepy as heck, even though one is more of the, you know, air quotes, good guy, and one's more of the bad guy. They're both really super, super creepy. Uh, But Karloff is like, like I said, he's like a satanic priest type guy. And they don't push the Satan, Satan, Satanic thing too, too far in this movie. It was pre-code just like. Barely, but they don't push that too far, but they definitely let you know that's what he's into, and it's not, you know, it's more towards about three quarters of the way through the movie, you know, but they definitely let you know that's what it's about, but yeah, wow, he was so crazy in this movie, and then, like you said earlier, we talked about how our buddy David Manners was in this one, too. Um, He did a pretty good job in there, so he definitely can't, uh, he was one of those faces where you're like, oh, he's in here, cool, so, and he played Peter Allison, who was a writer, and then uh, his wife, Joan, they had just been married, and there was a. Uh, they're going on vacation, and they had to share a train car with a uh, character, Doctor Vitas Vertigast. <laughs> what a name!
1: Oh, what a night Yeah, they, they they picked these Eastern European names to. Um, yeah, well, Bella Legosi himself being Eastern European, right? And and mm-hmm. and Karloff having some roots from there. Um, <clears throat> these names sounded like horror actors during the thirties and forties. <laughs> That's why they, probably, probably also worked them into character names. Mm-hmm. because, um, wow, yeah. So I watched the first, I'd say, 30 minutes of the film, but then because of time constraints and doing a lot of stuff before the new year, I wasn't able to complete it. So I wish I could speak more about this, Mr. B, but well, definitely a movie that I'm going to watch. Strange that I did never watched it, mm-hmm. but, um, you know, I do own it, in fact. So uh, no excuse on my part for not having watched it.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, I won't go into it too much, thanks. I don't want to spoil anything for you, but yeah, very, very much like a psychological thriller. And then at the end, there's some really uh, disturbing, you know, violent scenes there as well. So you'll, you'll get your money's worth, but you know, if you saw the first 30 minutes, you're almost halfway there because again, only 70 minutes around there. Um, So it's not, uh, again, it's, it moves at a pretty frenetic pace. You really have to, you know, it's not one of those movies. Like we said earlier, you can just, you know, unless you've seen it 15 or 20 times to put on in the background and do something else. The first couple of times you really need to, to devote a lot of attention to it but yeah. it's, a, it's really 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 good movie and
1: now i i know this was one of their earlier movies right billy so would mm-hmm. this be a contender for oh no wait you know earlier we mentioned the the first three successes i guess if you look at time of release then the first three three successes obviously dracula and frankenstein being some of them but the third one would probably be the mummy which we talked about earlier right and not
0: yep. mummy werewolf and then- london or no, Mummy and then Invisible Man and then you had Black Cat and then the next year you had Bride of Frankenstein. Oh, right, and, and right, right, right. So Her I Wolf was wrong.
1: Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I think I also misspoke. I, I meant you know, obviously the Phantom of the Opera that would had been redone
2: mm-hmm. by
1: Universal, I think in the 40s, they they didn't do the original. So I shouldn't include the Phantom on that early list of successes they had. Mm-hmm. But um, the reason why I mentioned this again now is because I thought the Black Cat might fill that, that um, third spot. But you're right, it should be technically the mummy and the invisible man vying for the third spot mm-hmm. along with yeah. Frankenstein and Dracula. Yeah, you're right. So this black cat being one of their early uh, movies, they I'm really interested in seeing how this um, performed at the time. And, and, and it's definitely right in my wheelhouse because, you know, I love satanic horror. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> yeah.
0: Oh, you'll, you'll enjoy it. Yeah. Make sure if you, if the version you have isn't uncut, because I think a lot of the versions that have come out were cut a little bit at the end. Um, so, you know, the scene, there's a scene at the end that's a little gruesome. So if it's if it's cut, uh, we'll we'll find some maybe on YouTube or somewhere you can find the scene uncut or something like that. I'll try to scare it up for you and find it because
1: it's it's disturbing. No, no, I'm <laughs> I'm sure I will have the 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 final version because I um Ooh, good, a couple. Good. What, when was it like a, a two or three years ago? I picked up that um, giant box of uh, Universal Blu-rays. Mm-hmm. Uh, that they released. I, I did it over Amazon because Amazon, in fact, uh, does ship those kind of things to Asia. And then, of course, we are we're on the same region code as you guys. So, mm-hmm. you know, basically anything we buy directly from Amazon can be watched here in Asia. Oh, so cool. um, I, I must have it on that version
0: yeah.
2: of,
1: of the Blu-ray. Oh, good. Um, so I'm going to have to have a look at that. And they, they probably have the original cut version too, so I'm going to compare the two and then we can talk about it Of Mike, Mr. B, but I want to thank you for bringing this movie to my attention because for some reason it always it was not in my mind as, uh, you know, a a must see. I didn't even think much about it, but it's got two of the classic actors in it. It's got Mm -hmm. Karloff and Lugosi. So I don't know why I sort of uh, glossed over it, Mm
2: -hmm. which is
1: which is really unforgivable on my part.
2: (laughs) And of course,
1: uh, Julie Bishop, you know, I do find her very attractive. She's Mm. not your classic Hollywood beauty, but. Yeah, she does something about her.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, a freaky part in the beginning where um, they they meet up in the train car with uh, Doctor Vertigas, played by Bella, and then while Julie's sleeping, he strokes her hair in full <laughs> view of her of her new husband. Husband, yeah. <laughs> and then he just apologies, I lost my wife when I went off to war. <laughs> you know, then, that's his explanation.
0: <laughs> Come on. Yeah. Yeah, and I mean. Lugosi's character is very super creepy. It looks like a nut kind of. And yeah, you know, yeah, he has this aura about him. And uh, Joan's uh, uh, husband there, Peter, he's more of a not I wouldn't say I like a milksop, but he's definitely not a tough guy. So he's not really you can tell he thinks like, yeah, I'd like to do something about this, but uh, I, I don't have the balls.
1: <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. So it's, it's weird. Um, but I loved it. I love these you know, strange character moments between the Mm -hmm. universal actors. And there are many of them. It's almost like it's not real life, but it could have been back then, Mm -hmm. you know, the way they interpreted it. But it won't happen that way exactly these days. But
2: different times,
1: right? Makes for different uh, reactions and so forth, too. So I'm definitely going to get back to you on this one, Mr. B. Yeah, so Mm -hmm. I think that's on to our honorable mentions, isn't it?
0: Yeah, fire away, man, with whatever you got here. Like I said, I've got four, but you go ahead and go first and rattle yours off and anything you want to say about them, and then I'll, I'll hit mine.
1: Okay, now um, I should mention something I mentioned before. My number six is firmly the original Frankenstein. I also love the origin aspect to it because it is slightly different from the original origin of the, you know, as uh, written by Mary Shelley in her novel a couple of centuries earlier, in the fact that there's no lightning, there's no... You know, mysterious ray. There's no mix up of brains, you know, as the Mm -hmm. jars are switched by Fritz when he drops the good brain (laughs) and switches (laughs) with the bad brain. Uh, That is all, uh, you know, original to this movie.
3: Sure. But I
1: love it. I just love that. Mm -hmm. And I loved how that led to so many evil scientists on film. And, uh, you know, it's just a classic scene.
2: Yeah. Mm -hmm. And,
1: uh, then of course that's my number six. Then number seven would be Dracula, the Bela mm-hmm. Lugosi classic, because uh, that's all Bela for me, really. Oh, Bela yeah. Lugosi sells that classic Dracula, but that's not my Dracula. My Dracula will always be Christopher Lee. But you know, one, once I watched Bela as Dracula, which was also in in my early twenties or mid twenties, I really got an appreciation for the way he acts and the way he presents himself to the cameras. And uh, he's got, even in interviews you see with him, he's got that same persona that he has in film. You know, mm-hmm. it's almost like he acts as a, a man in real life when, mm-hmm. when he's interviewed as himself and on film too. It's just he's got this this classical otherworldly presence or, or he's from an old world that we're, that we're not party to anymore. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, Bella made that film for me. So that has to be... Another okay. honorable mention. And then, you know, others that I enjoyed, um, I, I, I wouldn't say really enjoyed, but I would say, I, I think this is probably because it's Paul Nashe's favorite film. And that's Frankenstein meets the Wolfman. <laughs> now, I, I thought this is ridiculous when I saw it the first time. It was definitely <laughs> not universal for me. It's just silly. But then after, you know, loving starting to love Paul Nashe's stuff and reading some Paul Nashe biographies and researching the guy, this was the movie. Apparently, that this this is now for for listeners who don't know Paul Nashi, the great um, Spanish, Spanish actor, uh, actor who's yeah. basically the Boris Karloff or or you know what would you call him the Boris Karloff, Bela Lugosi, and Lon Chaney Jr. all rolled up into one of Spanish <laughs> yeah. horror cinema. Yep, uh, you could probably add Christopher Lee and Pu Cushing in there as well. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, he's all of them rolled up into one. Really, yep. one man Spanish horror meister. Mm-hmm. He uh, was inspired by the movie as a young kid. Frankenstein Mm -hmm. meets the Wolfman. And um, this is also the movie that gave us the monster mashup, Mm -hmm. uh, which is almost now Marvel style, you know, superhero mashups we have in film and on, 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 in comics and so forth. Like
0: a shared universe. Yeah.
1: Yeah. This is the the movie that established the shared universe for Universal. Mm -hmm. So um, that led to fans speculating what else could happen. And unfortunately then we got stuff like Abbott and Costello and, (laughs) <laughs> um, you know, that might have been before that, too. I'm not sure on my timeline. I think I think they a were little later. bit later, though, later. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. but um, so those are my honorable mentions would be. I've just got three to your four, um, mm-hmm. which is firmly, you know, not very original, really uh, just Dracula. Of course. Well, I should mention Frankenstein first, then Dracula. And then, of course, Frankenstein meets the Wolfman. Mm-hmm. um and all of those movies are enjoyable for me to watch other than my five top favorites so i will return to them and again and again every few years enjoyable
0: hmm yeah i mean i've got dracula and uh, frankenstein meets the wolfman as well like i said you know just like you nice. said dracula started it all and frankenstein meets the wolfman just came into that hole like it's the first time you have these monsters fighting each other and it was really cool. And like I said, it brought a, you know, the guy, it let you know that these monsters, you know, lived in the same universe. It wasn't like, you know, one of them was on earth one and the other one was on earth two. <laughs> they were yeah. fir- firmly set in the same universe. So uh, you got to give it credit for that. And then, uh, I also love werewolf of London. I like that one quite a bit. You know, that's, that's one I can go back to quite often as well. Um, you know? Right,
1: yeah, 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 I've seen that as well. Yeah, not a bad one at all. I I. I think um, the only thing that probably, um, you know, there's no great leading star in that movie, uh, I think, right? Um, if I'm not mistaken, I mean, Jack Pierce is obviously involved with the makeup and so forth. Then, uh, um, uh, sorry, not, not the makeup. I mean, uh, the makeup itself is very innovative as well. Um, is it Henry Hull? Uh, yeah, I can't remember. He's, yeah, he's, he's he's he's
0: he's the werewolf. Yeah, love love yeah. that character. Yeah, mm-hmm.
1: but you know, every time I think about this movie, I always just think of the Warren Zevon song, <laughs> you know, which is <laughs> what it's based on, right? The, mm-hmm. the classic werewolf of London song by Zevon. But yeah, I, I I should look watch this movie more, you know, because like I say, Jack Pierce is involved, mm-hmm. um, and then of course uh, you know the. The, this was basically their first foray into mm-hmm. werewolf movies. So, yeah, it, it's definitely some one that has to be explored. You know, Billy, now that we talk, one thing I I, I should mention, though, is um I was a big fan of the sequel to The Mummy, uh, which is The Mummy's Hand. Mm-hmm. Well, it's a, it's not really a sequel. I mean, it's a quasi-sequel, right? There's lots of uh, sequels right. that from The Mummy. But then, you know, uh, the reason why I didn't really mention this on my honorable mentions is because... The Christopher Lee Mummy um is so much mm-hmm. better. Oh, you know, yeah. and this is very similar to the Christopher Lee Mummy, even though it preceded it. Whereas it's more of a bandage strapped mummy walking around, you know, murdering yeah. people. But mm-hmm. it's done so much better by hammer. So that's why I'm not I'm gonna leave that off. Uh even though it is kind of uh, one of the better sequels, really. Mm-hmm. But uh, great honorable mentions on your part, Mr. B. And of course, we we overlapped again there because you kind of have to go with Dracula. If you don't yeah. have it on your top five list, it has to be an honorable mention like you mentioned. Mm-hmm. Because it, it started everything, really. And mm-hmm. um, overall, Universal will remain with me and I will keep rewatching the movies, keep trying to suss out trivia that I've missed. It's a fascinating mm-hmm. universe that they've presented us with and it informs so much of our popular culture that... It's worth going back to and researching and I should really buy more books on it, you know, uh, Mm -hmm. to to get a better appreciation of that time. But -hmm. right now, since I'm on a budget, I'm firmly devoted to researching (laughs) Hammer, especially for guest appearances on on your podcast, but also for myself. But eventually Mm -hmm. I might might return to universal research and, you know, so get a better appreciation of everything.
0: Yeah, I mean, my last one was Dracula's daughter. That's the only other one I had there. That was my fourth one.
1: Okay, another one I have seen. Uh, If I remember, what is it, uh, Gloria? Now I've forgotten her name, but um,
0: yeah, the Countess. Yeah, yeah, the Countess
1: Mm -hmm. uh, Zaleska. Mm -hmm. (laughs) She's a great. uh, (laughs) You know, she's great. Yeah,
0: that one's kind of creepy. I like it. It's very atmospheric. It sort of comes in, you know, after you know, Dracula kind of tying into it in, in a, in a way, you know, not directly, but it's, it's pretty, it's pretty neat. It's a pretty cool film. Like I, I only saw that one. Maybe I didn't see that one. They didn't play that one on TV for some reason. I don't know why. That wasn't one that played on television when I was a kid. So I probably didn't see that one until I was maybe like, I don't know, 25 or 30. And I, I thought it was pretty cool. And I was like, oh, yeah. check this out. And like I said, it was, it was definitely kind of its own thing, so mm. it's you know not if you're going into it thinking, oh, where's you know Lugosi and Karloff, you're going to be you know let down. But it's 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 pretty neat. It's very atmospheric, very weird, very creepy, and uh, I think it's pretty good.
1: Yeah, and she's a different kind of uh, vampire. You know, she's not like, at least from what I remember, because I I haven't seen this in years. But what I remember is, I mean, Lugosi brought the old world with him, mm-hmm. you know, and you refused to give it up. Whereas she's more like a modern high society gal, at least for the 1930s, what they mm-hmm. considered, you know, modern, of course, and, uh, <laughs> yeah. you know, and she's preying on members of high society. So different, right, Billy, than, mm-hmm. than, than what what's presented y- there. She's yes. more of a hidden vampire, which is a horror into itself, you know, this, this monster that, that wears the skin of, of a human, really. Whereas mm-hmm. Dracula, you kind of in the beginning, of course, when Jonathan Parker meets him, yeah, you think he's human. But later on, he's very much uh, this monstrous presence.
2: Mm-hmm. But yeah,
1: I remember this um, Zaleska.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: It
1: counts as Zaleska as being more of a, a chameleon. Yeah, it's you very know, much
0: a, a different thing, yeah.
1: Mm, but great, great honorable mention there. I completely forgot about this movie, and I should have also probably included that because <laughs> that's one of my favorites. You know, a couple of others that I've watched over the years that I will probably never return to, uh, you know, revenge of the creature. I'm not gonna really include that in honor honorable mentions um because you know, um they weren't uh they dragged you know, I would say that the uh, son of Frankenstein maybe is a is a possible for me um but yeah, I think we've we've covered the best of the best at least mm-hmm. in our minds. there might be some someone who chimes in and says, "Well, how dare you leave this off the list <laughs> but um so far, I think we've done a good job here, Mr. B and definitely. The, the movies that I can never get tired of are the ones we talked about here. And, of course, The Black Cat is now my next uh, on my next two-watch list. Oh, yeah.
0: You got it. Thanks to you. Yeah, you got to Excellent. watch that one.
1: <laughs> so Excellent. All right.
0: all right, man. Well, thanks for joining me here. You know, buddy, this was awesome. And, you know, we have so much fun on Into the Weird and A World on Fire and Star Rocket Radio. So it's nice to jump on here to every once in a while and talk about some kind of crazy comic or one of our movies that we love too. Um, you know, you were on the show quite a few times throughout the year, along with a bunch of other cool guests that, uh, you know, I'll be looking forward to talking to next year and then uh, you know, some new
1: people as well.
0: So looking forward to that. But uh, if somebody wants to catch you, uh, where are you out on the socials, my friend?
1: Well. I'm on Twitter just like yourself, Mr. B. I'm by no means a Twitter guru like you yet. <laughs> but I'm hopefully, <laughs> you know, um, uh, firmly your apprentice on Twitter. But we are busy there all the time. And but then, yeah. you know, you can find me there at darklongbox or at Weird. And,, uh, yeah, great year for magazines and monsters. Um, I enjoyed listening to the shows, not starring myself. I don't listening to my I don't <laughs> like listening to myself, <laughs> guesting on a show. but I love the guests you had, Mr. B. And I'm honored to have been uh, multiple times on the show this year and also in the past. Uh, So hopefully, you know, the next year there'll be more magazines and monsters content to keep me busy while I do the dishes or while I do (laughs) these menial chores as a servant to my wife, (laughs) as the Renfield to my wife. No, 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 as the 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 Fritz (laughs) 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 to the evil that is my spouse.
0: (laughs) That's awesome. But all right, my friend. Like I said, thank you again. I really appreciate uh, you coming on and uh, all your help throughout the year. You know, getting that. This was the year my show really. I finally said to myself, I'm getting a getting a regular schedule here. And ever since April, you know, of twenty twenty one here. I was uh I had an episode out every other week and then a few weeks in a row from September till now, you know, or early December, I think when we had our excalibur talk you and me and Karen, I think I had a, a show a week from September till then too. So yeah, really uh looking forward to at least keeping up with the every other week. Uh you know, slot for uh, next year. I'm taking January off, you know, no no shows going to come out in January. A couple of recordings, hopefully, but not anything uh, popping out there until February, first Friday in February. That's what I'm shooting for. So
1: really looking forward to 2022. That's right. And yeah, thanks again, Mr. B, for entertaining us. And uh, I just want to say Happy New Year to everyone. And uh, hopefully 2022 will be less horror filled, uh, <laughs> a real life horror filled than, you know, uh, <laughs> 2021 and 20 was, but a l- filled with lots of horror movies on our part. So looking forward to that. Yeah.
3: So, yeah, I mean, that, hey, you know, yeah. Yeah. If,
0: if everybody's got to do some more staying inside, uh, you and I are going to you know, do our best to uh, give them something to listen to. That's for sure. We're always, <laughs> we're always uh, trying to put some stuff out there, some fun stuff.
1: That's right. That's right. It's also fun for us. So, yeah, hopefully we'll we'll get to do that again. We will. We will. Mm-hmm. We've got lots of time on our hands. So, great, Mr. B. Thanks a lot. And, yeah, Happy New Year, everybody. See you in the new year. Keep listening to Magazines and Monsters.
0: All right. I'm going to be back in a minute uh, after a quick promo to wrap things up.
3: Adventures into the Unknown. Tales from the Crypts. Skeleton Hand The Haunt of Fear Dark Shadows Vampirella The Haunted Tank The Heap Eerie Swamp Thing Weird Mysteries Tomb of Dracula Tales of the Unexpected Werewolf by Night The Demon Man Thing Monster of Frankenstein Brother Voodoo The Son of Satan Night Force The Living Mummy The Sandman Tomb of Darkness Evil Ernie Saga of the Swamp Thing Flinch Hellblazer Thirty Days of Night Preacher The Walking Dead What do these titles have in common? All of them, from Adventures into the Unknown, to Tales from the Crypt, to the House of Mystery, to the Tomb of Dracula, may be found in the long box of darkness. I'm your host, Herman Lowe. Join me every Monday night for a journey into comic book horror as we delve into the secrets of The Long Box of Darkness. So listen if you dare, puny mortals, to The Long Box of Darkness, available on Stitcher, iTunes, and Podbean. And check out the blog at www.longboxofdarkness.com. Good night, and pleasant screams. <laughs>
0: everybody that wraps up this episode and 2021 a huge thank you to all who listened in downloaded liked retweeted shared etc that means a lot to me and then you know a special thank you to all my guests you know especially Herm. you know he's done a lot to help me over these last couple years get things going and off the ground and tons of uh you know friendly advice and tips and just uh you know being an, an ear to listen sometimes when uh you know I was trying to get things right. So again, thanks to all the guests and especially him for sure. Um, As I said before, no episodes are going to drop in January, taking a little time off here with recordings, but uh, I'll be back on February 4th. You know, that's a Friday. Going to stick with the Friday every other week. You know, maybe I'll throw in an extra show in here and there too, but for right now, every other week, um, that's going to kick off 2022 with some new guests, some returning guests, more movies, comics, and hopefully a lot of fun so now before i sign off i'd like to read off all the names of the twitter crowd that responded to my tweet asking about your favorite classic universal film um and yes herm did cheat a little <laughs> we mentioned it during the show with uh, his pick of uh, creature from the black lagoon but it's only because he hasn't seen a ton of universals you know uh so that was one he had to throw in there but uh you know because several people remarked about that uh that they wanted to pick that one, and I was like, no, no, it could only be, uh, pre, like, 1950 or something like that, I said, but, um, all right, so, uh, apologies if I miss any money, but I think I got everyone, so, okay, here we go, so, Chuck Miller, uh, Man-Thing Menagerie, Alex Vorkov, uh, Mike from Comics in the Golden Age, Billy Slobin, Dr. Eldritch, Honorable Uncle DL, Tony's Focus, Ryan Daly, Jeremy Avery, George Kish, uh, Steve Sellers, um, Luke G- Giaconetti, Steve Shen, Carlos X, uh, Dr. Doom, that's Dr. with a K, Wednesday Comics, uh, Darth Friend, Fists and 45s, Telltale Mine, um, Chris uh, Whiteman, Ted Salas, Scott West, Dave M., Luis DeVega, Josh M. LaBelle, Doug uh, Hammer Films, Bill Spy Vinyl, <laughs> Sweet Potato Dog, <laughs> uh, Brent Mishad, um, William Devereaux, Jay Litnicki, uh, Enrique Mejia, Brad Will, uh, Spock the Computer, uh, William Blavery, uh, Dance Along the Edge, Captain Sparkle Pants, Sylvester mm-hmm. Brown. Uh, let's see who else uh, Fritz Frankenstein I'm sorry Fritz Frankenstein whoops Freudian slip there uh, and Logan Randy Sims Karen yeah, from Planet A Podcast and we had Corey Heitman uh, Steve Chapo Brian Pliston Pod, John Turley uh, my buddy Mark Gray Brian Baugh and then we had C.L. Shaver and then Stop Let's Team Up um wilco uh three channels 12 cents and 45 rpm uh miss ella warren mondo peace theater johnny appleseed mark r uh william hugh potter good buddy of the show there Uh, go arsenal kevin s and patrick and honestly overwhelmingly bride of frankenstein got the most votes. I didn't tally them all, but it was very evident. Bride of Frankenstein was the runaway favorite for everybody. You know, a lot of other ones got good votes too, but uh, that one, that one definitely ran away with the, uh, the votes there. So again, thank you everybody for, you know, interacting with that one for sure. And as always on Twitter and Facebook and all the social media platforms. So again, thanks for an awesome 2021 and I'll see you, uh, in February 2022. Take care, everybody. Happy New Year.